tonight, the World Light Heavyweight title is online when Japan's Jushin Thunder Liger defends his title against Flying Brian. The World Tag Team title is at stake when the Steiners go head-to-head -head against Iron Anderson and Beautiful Bobby. The United States Heavyweight title is challenged when Ravishing Rick Rude battles Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And the World Heavyweight title match, the total package Lex Luger against his former best friend Sting. Live from the Mecca in Milwaukee, it's Super Brawl! Now, we managed to get through this far, covering the main event, without talking about two of the most offensive things in this. And this was the real low points of the show. Lex Luger's mullet and Sting's repulsive little flappy mullet that he's got, <laughs> which must be two inches wide in the middle of the back of his hair and is flapping around as horrible. And at one point, Luger picks him up by the net and I was like he's touching that little mullet I hope he washed his hands afterwards because <laughs> it is absolutely fucking disgusting Welcome once again to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and today we're gazing back around 30 years to a time when the initials WCW were merely the letters to denote a specific wrestling company and not a well-worn hashtag to declare your women crushes on a specific day of the week. Joining me today is Old Man. Hello. I didn't even say your name. I just said Old Man. Old Man Sam mm. Carey. Yes. Well, to be fair, same cunt, same response. Hello. And also we have Matt Roberts. My intro is just not going to top that, is it? Evening, gents. <laughs> Although I'm a bit disappointed because uh, Matt didn't salute us, John yeah. Cena oh. style. There we go. That's better. I'm sure better. everybody's really happy now that you've done that and they can't see it. But Old Man has at least <laughs> confirmed it verbally that you did do it. Yeah. It was all good. How are we feeling today? We are, we are recording this, we should say, on the day of old Storm... What is it? Storm... Storm, Storm, Storm Eunice. Eunice, that's it. Not Ethel. I've got EastEnders on the mind. Uh, <laughs> Storm Eunice. Why so, Eunice? Why do they call it Eunice? So they go just random names, but they do them alphabetically, obviously. But yeah. I'll tell you what Eunice always reminds me of. Eunice Hutthart, who was a legendary performer on the TV show Gladiators... Right, okay. From the mid-90s on ITV. Reminds me very much of me and one of my sisters watching it around our nan's house. Gives me a little warm feeling in my heart and my belly when I think about that. So what well done, Storm Eunice. Apart from what's been quite serious damage and a couple of people have sadly died. So by the time this comes out, it may have increased. I don't know this Eunice at heart and I watched the Gladiators quite a lot. Who would she be? Who would she be? But she was a contestant. Ah, okay. yes, she was a Liverpudlian lady, and she was a hero. So they did, um, they did like the Ashes, which was British contestants against Australian <laughs> gladiators, and vice versa. All at the Birmingham National Indoor Arena. And, uh, <laughs> Abuga! <laughs> and uh, yeah, and oh, she was an absolute legend. She's just one of these people that nowadays, you know, they do um, SAS. Are you tough enough? Like, you get the feeling that she'd just turn up and she'd be like, cool, yeah, I'll do that just for a laugh. And then just absolutely annihilate it. Whoa, woman. Go on, Eunice Hart Hart. 
she she became a gladiator. I've just found this out. She became one. What was her gladiator name? Uh, Blaze. Okay, Blaze. that was well after the time I watched it. <laughs> I remember the only thing, the main thing I can remember from Gladiators is that in the first or second series, there was a contestant called Chris Saunders. And the reason that confused me so much is because I knew a Chris Saunders in real life. And I was quite young at the time, must have been like nine, ten. And I was like, it's not because he was a couple of years older than me as well. So I was like, well, you know, could be him. I mean, he was 12 or 13, so it was definitely not. But I was like, well, it could be. You never know. <laughs> do, do you know if he had the speed, the strength, the heart to be a winner? <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually know. I don't. Oh, at this point, they, yeah, they don't make TV themes like that anymore, do they? Nah. <laughs> it was perfect because it came in and it was just like this like cheesy little thing. And then it just built up and built up and built up. Brilliant stuff. Fan-fucking-tastic. Ah, oh, the memories, lads. That, and then we'd watch Big Break, well, <laughs> Big which Break. is another cracking theme tune. It's only a game think, show. Mm, I don't know the rest of the lines. <laughs> it's only a game show. You better believe I'm right. We're going to be oh, snookering you tonight. Big yeah. Break. <laughs> he was very serious about that. Like, can, can I just <laughs> clarify? These are the lyrics, you fucking yeah. prick. <laughs> and then it's... I don't know what the next line is, because I always thought it was, I'm playing for my aim, so you better believe I'm right. But that can be, because it doesn't make any sense. I'm famed for my aim. That's what it is. Oh, I'm yes. famed for my aim, Ooh. so. You better aim. believe I'm right. I'm going to be snookering you tonight. Big break. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> the uh, end of the song. Yeah. And here he is, notorious racist, Jim Davidson. <laughs> Well done, Jim. Well, this was pre-everyone knowing that he was a racist and also pre-people being annoyed by racism as well, I think. <laughs> I think they were annoyed by racism, but just different. That more overt, obvious racism was uh, not tolerated. But stuff like Jim Davidson, uh, obvious racist to, to us now, perhaps would have gone unnoticed. Mm. And also, I suppose that's a fair point because a lot of like the stuff that's come out is stuff that he's done on very small scale, isn't it? That's just spread through YouTube and social media. So without those horrendous mediums that are tearing down the world one piece at a time, we wouldn't know about Jim Davidson's racism. Well, if you are into the inane, irreverent stream of consciousness that this podcast tends to be all about, then you should also join us over on Twitter at UK, where you can check in with us between each episode. So this year, I've been trying to give us a sort of topic to talk about every single week. It's not about the show that we're covering, but this isn't particularly original. Just a bit of fun. So today I've got favorite movie with a wrestler in it or about wrestling in some way. Ooh, come on, Matt, you go first. See, now, I was, that was going to be a difficult one for me until you said unless it was about a wrestler, because my mind immediately goes to something not too long ago. Is the wrestler with Mickey Rock, which was absolutely fucking phenomenal. It was brilliant. I mean, the the only the only gripe I had about it, which wrestling fans will probably realise, is the fact that they tried to use a you know sort of smart line in the opening line of the film. I think he said something like, you know, he really put them over. But obviously they, they were, you know, we know what that means. And they were trying to refer to it as the crowd and it didn't really make sense. So like mm. when I watched that at the cinema, I, I openly laughed at that. And the person I went with just turned to me and was like, what's so funny? It's a cracker. That is really good. Oh, oh Ram Jam. I um, Ram Jam. I really Ram liked jam. it when I first watched it. 
but I watched it in I watched it again and I found it really dull actually a second time round. I really did. The first first time I watched it, I thought, yeah, this is really good. And I think that's probably largely because obviously I'm a big wrestling fan. But I think after that, watching it a second time, I was like, oh, it's a bit, a bit dull. It's a bit dull. See, I'd like the idea of of, um, of Randy and I can't remember her name, but like the the strippers character, like like the the idea of the sort of job roles in in some way kind of being similar like they rely on their body for their livelihood type thing i thought that was really cool i think everything is wrestling so i think you can you can make that analogy for any profession going so i don't i don't necessarily uh think that's that particular that's that's that clever if i'm honest although it's a better it's a better storyline than he's friends with an administrator <laughs> it might be more dramatic but it's no less of an analogy yeah because he's like so how did you meet them is that like, oh, i went into an office <laughs> and they were there so i'm glad we're, we've stalled a little bit because i'm having a little bit of a hard time with this because i'm right. trying to think so there's obviously like the first spider-man film has brandy savage in it you've got oh, suburban commando which has got two wrestlers in it you've got they live which i finally watched with uh, Randy Rowdy Powder, <laughs> and it wasn't very good. So it's not going to be that. You haven't mentioned the one I thought you'd have mentioned straight away. Oh, man. Mr. Nanny. <laughs> a predator. Mm, so I'm not the biggest predator guy. Oh, right. But you've set me up beautifully for what I was going to choose. It's the running man. Uh... Oh, Jesse Ventura in that is tremendous. And it's just fucking fantastic. I don't even know how many times I've watched that film. If he turned up in Commando, then we'd have had a fight on our hands. But yeah, lovely stuff. There's a lot that will come into my head. There's one yeah. that's just come into mind now that I just remembered. The 2004 version of The Punisher with Kevin Nash in as an oh, evil Russian. That's a good show because <laughs> I, ne- I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, yeah. please, for the love of God, watch that. It's so good. So I was thinking from my perspective, Perspective. First of all, Man on the Moon, which has got Jerry Lawler in. Um, yes. This is um, a Kraken film, and obviously about Andy Kaufman, who himself was theoretically, technically a wrestler a little yeah. bit of his time. Then I was also thinking about the Waterboy, I think it is, Adam Sandler film, which has got the oh. big show, big shows in it. Yeah. God. Uh, <laughs> the thing is with Adam Sandler, like you can either hate them. Or just kind of watch them and, and again not really pay attention. They're not good films, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily hard to watch. They're easy to watch, and I can get through them. Which is not what I could say for the WWE-funded film about wrestling called <laughs> The Main Event, which is uh, a kids' film about two kids or a kid who gets special powers when he wears a mask. Oh yeah, and makes his way through the WWE ranks, and it's so bad that I genuinely couldn't finish it. I, I <laughs> despite trying seven or eight times, I did, like watched it in that many bouts and I still didn't reach the end of the film. It is that bad. It is impossible to watch. Was that on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Yeah. I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a, a little shout out for fighting with my family as well. Oh yeah. That's which good. Which is a yeah, cracking watch. Yeah. yeah really, really good. good. And obviously we've, yeah. we've, that's the first one we've mentioned. It's got the rock in and there are, yeah. Lots of films. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, they, there's a guy by the name of The Rock who's done that. Uh, he's yeah. done a couple of films, hasn't he? <laughs> and what about Guardians of the Galaxy? That's yeah, true. and 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 the new June. That's fantastic. There's got Big Dave in it. John yeah. Cena's starting to take off as well. You know, the the Suicide yeah. Squad, Peacemaker TV series. 
Yeah. He's, you know, I, I can't say Suicide Squad was my cup of tea, but he was good in that. He, he's also in a cracking comedy film called Blockers. I didn't, I didn't read that, see? Ah, uh, I, I did. It was just good old stupid shit. Every now and then, some something like that, I watch it and it just gets me. And then I could watch it ten minutes later and I go, get this shit off my telly. I just shout to myself. <laughs> Is Kurgan in the 300? Or am I making that up? Uh, he's big and he's got a big chin, so probably. Uh, sounds about right. <laughs> I think he's in. I think he is in the three hundred, Kurgan. I mean, I'll tell you what, right? He is. Yeah. And uh, there's a picture of him from 2011. Only 52 now. Mm. He's like grown a beard, grown his hair out. You know what? Not a bad looking lad. Bring him back. Bring him back. It'd be, it'd mm. be one of the surprises for WrestleMania, Matt. You'll be loving that. You'll be absolutely. <laughs> be superb. So let's talk about Super Brawl 2, which is actually the first mention of it that I've made on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And we're nearly 15 minutes, 20 minutes in. What was our expectations for this show? Uh, old man, let's start with you. Initially, I was thinking this show, 1992, WCW. I've said this numerous times. I had a good time with these earlier WCW shows. We've had a couple of bum notes as well, but that's going to happen. So I was looking forward to this. And then I kind of it twigged in my head. I was like, so you've got Ric Flair is just, well, not just, but a month or so before, it's just one, I've used the word just again, silly cunt. <laughs> uh, Rick, Ric Flair is just this second, won the WWF world title <laughs> in the Royal Rumble. And I was like, oh, this might be quite an important show from WCW's point of view, because this might be a little torch passing moment. And I was pretty confident who they'd be passing this torch to. But I was like, actually, this might be quite a big deal. And I was looking forward to it because I knew there was going to be I knew there was going to be some really good stuff on it, pretty much regardless of the overall quality of the show. And as when we watched Saturday Night's main event, I was looking forward to see what Matt thought of it. Matt, what were your expectations going in? You you, you may be intrigued um, th- this week with this one, to be honest, because... But when I saw the lineup for this and all the matches, I thought, this sounds bloody awesome. I was like, the, the amount of sort of potential for good matches here, I thought, okay, here, here we go. You know, I looked up and down the card and I thought, I'm hoping this is finally going to be the card that I could really get behind. And, and this, is the, this is the type of WCW that, that I've been looking forward to seeing. Yeah, so we've been searching for it, haven't we, Matt? So who mm. knows? Maybe maybe it's this one. Yeah, so for me, I interestingly enough, when I was growing up, there was a video shop. I'm going to use some of the names of the places because it'll be interesting for Tom's per, per benefit, if no one else, because he used to live very close to me. There used to be a video shop uh, on Broadwalk, the shopping centre that's near us. Um, that was called, I think it was called the Ritz video shop it wasn't a blockbuster that's for certain but i'm not talking about that video shop because that's what people think when i'm saying there's a shop that was close to me that was the video shop or at least that's what tom will think this is all for tom's benefit um (laughs) there was another one on the wells road so even a little bit closer to me than brawl walk uh which is only there for a year and a half but it had in it wcw super brawl 2 when i was about 12 13 that i kind of rented from that video shop to see what it was like and i remember watching it and i was like Got it on, really excited, and then I was like, yeah, oh, this is boring. This is really boring. They're all, all the matches are long. There's no, like, there's no Undertakers, and there's no, like, outlandish characters and whatnot. All the production values are a bit rubbish. They're not very, you know, they're not very excited about it. So it was a real kind of disappointment for me then. So I was really now looking forward to going back and seeing this, because I was like, I'm going to have a different perspective on this, I'm sure. It might not be that it's good, but it, it would definitely be a different perspective. And obviously also where... To both of your points, this is a Ric 
flareless WCW, which isn't a particularly common thing throughout their their their, their history. And also, it's a pretty big event on the calendar, as we've said before. Super Bowl is always uh, pretty pretty big in that respect, and it's of the time when we've seen we quite like some of the stuff they do. So definitely looking forward to this one. So talking points, and, I, and I'm going to start this week with my talking this is point, good um, to give you some time to think about something. <laughs> and um, my talking point is, is that I genuinely was like, what is Matt going to think of this show? <laughs> <laughs> so to your point old man after i'd watched that i was like right god what how how is he going to respond to this because the reason you've completely thrown throw me out is that and when we did our super bowl six episode which old man you weren't part of i thought matt's reviews of the matches were so all over the place and not what i was expecting at all like for me as we discussed on the show the ddp jody bad match was excellent and the conan versus one man gang match was an absolute pile of wank and matt didn't particularly love either, but had much more love for Conan versus One Man Gang than he did for Johnny B. versus Mark versus uh, DDP. So he really confused me. I was not expecting it at all. And I was at the end of the show, I was like, he, he could go either way. He could absolutely hate this show, like 100%, or he's going to love it. So Matt, I, without kind of going into any specifics about any of the bits or any of the matters or anything, what did you make of the show? I'm trying to think of how to sum it up in one word. Do you know? Biscuits. <laughs> do, do you know? Just yeah, nice and simple. Do you know what? It was great. Wow. I thought that this was a great show. There, there were some things on it that weren't so great. Don't get me wrong, but the good definitely outweighed the bad, top to bottom, for me, hundred percent. Well, it sounds like we might have found the era of WCW that is for you, Matt. And that's what you know. I think. As we said on that show before, I think earlier WCW is definitely where you're more likely to find what you're looking for, because even though late WCW did have your Eddie Guerrero's and Rey Mysterio's and Chris Benoit and whatever else, it was not the main focus of the show by any means. It really wasn't. Um, Whereas in the early days of WCW, one thing is for certain is the wrestling is the main focus of the show, no matter what. And you also commented a number of times that there's not some you don't like the cartoonish aspects of the business. The early WCW doesn't have a lot of cartoonish stuff either. It's a much more serious sports based presentation to their shows. So that's kind of why I expected, but I expected that before Super Bowl six. And then after that, I was like, no, I've no idea what he's going to think. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear that. Old man, what, what do you want to pick out about this show? For those beautiful people that have listened to last week's episode, oh no, I had quite the gripe with the commentary team. <laughs> well, two of the commentary team on that show. Quite the opposite here. So the show starts, there's a little bit with Shivoni and Bischoff, and I'm like, oh, they'll be doing commentary. That's okay. That's not too bad. Early 90s, Shivoni, that'd be all right. We'll, uh, we'll have a bit of that. Won't necessarily sold on Bischoff, but I thought, ah, oh, that'd be all right. And then they cut to good old JR, or just as he's known here, Jim Ross. He had a gimmick change when he went to WWF. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> did. Be, did. Yeah, did. yeah. And, and also, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll mention that very shortly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, JR's in the ring, and he's like doing the ring announcement. I'm like, fucking hell, JR doing ring announcing. And I'm like, this is what, two years? A year before he joins WWE as a commentator? We've seen him commentate. I was like, this is a winner. And then he announces Jesse Ventura. And I'm like, hello. Now, you'll remember this, Tinky, because you're better at this than me. What show was it where they were commentating from the back and JR kept smiling 
at the camera like he was about to be cattle prodded well yeah not actually 100 percent certain. it was either spring stampede 94 or slamboree 93 i think I've, jesse comes down the ramp gets a decent old pop which is unsurprising because he's uh returning from the dark side wwf just in case people aren't aware what the dark side is and they have a little chat a little repartee in the middle of the ring and they've got that instant chemistry they've just got it they bounce off each other well jr is fantastic through the whole show absolutely on point this is peak jr i think that i've heard outside of his attitude era stuff with lola when he was just calling absolute flames every week and jesse ventura is fantastic he's got his and I didn't notice it until later on in the show. But he's got this horrible, he's got his horrible hair where he's bald and then just at the back. So they cut to them, like I think it's before the main event and he turns around and I'm like, oh, it's there. I was sick in my mouth a little bit. And then I got on with my life. But the thing that I loved about it is that Jesse keeps saying that JR should put a cowboy hat on. Mm. And I was like, Vince must have heard this through someone and then made JR do it. Because <laughs> obviously the story is, is that JR, who is now synonymous with a cowboy hat, mm. didn't want to do it. Yeah. Like, was like, no, I don't want to do it. I've got a great head of hair. I mean, to be fair, he's kind of got Lego hair. So not a bad thing to cover up. But yeah, I thought these lads were just brilliant. Thoroughly enjoyed it. They, they got me through some of the more challenging moments of the show. I think Jesse Ventura in particular deserves a real shout out here because what it reminded me of as well is very much... When Paul Heyman first started commentating in WWE in 2001, when he replaced Jerry Lawler at very late notice because Jerry Lawler walked out on the company when they fired his then fiance. And Paul Heyman came in a very short notice and pretty much knew everything that was going on. He, he, he wasn't like he was catching up or anything. He was there. He knew he understood all the storylines. He knew all the wrestlers were. He knew the names of the moves, like including their gimmicked names for their finishes and everything. It's like he'd spent the weekend just watching videotapes mm. to get himself up to speed ventura is the same here ventura's like instantly knows what's going on knows who everyone is knows what what the storylines are and and probably he had some prep time it wasn't probably as sudden as paul Heyman's drafting into to wwe but at the same time like i can't imagine for example a jerry lawler coming back to wwe and being able to slot in as well as Ventura did at this at this moment into WCW. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I also think you're absolutely right. This is, I think, JR when he's better than he was in his Attitude Era. Although I guess he's supplying a different need here in mm. WCW. You know, he's calling the action much more. He's much more about that sports lens. I think you find that his references to other sports are even higher than they would be in WWE. Because, it, again, it kind of feeds more into that sports-based presentation. Whereas in WWE, he's trying to be much more dramatic, much more more kind of flamboyant really trying to amp up the drama of the soap opera that would be wwe in the late 90s but um i think yeah i think he's just really really uh just he's just class i just think it's a, you're right i think it's a really good uh commentary team totally agree with both of you on that um it's it is a lot more sort of sports like particularly when like when they go down to the ring with them like before the matches and again for me that that's very ufc which I, I i love that aspect you know that they should do things like that more often it does it just it makes it seem like a big fight feel and that's what you want that's exactly what you want from the shows is is brilliant they need to keep doing it well it just legitimizes what's going on doesn't it even the bits and we'll obviously get onto it but the bits with shivoni and bischoff as well they just legitimize what's going on where like there's not um for 
fair number of these matches. Really any reason for these guys to be fighting. But because they of the way that they talk about them, you're like, you know what, actually, yeah, they got me invested here. Like, and it's all very simple things, especially with Sharone and Bischoff. They're talking for probably a minute, if that, about the match. It's like, cool, thank you. Done. Lovely old job. And they always disagree. And it's just like, cool, brilliant stuff. Well done, lads. It's not hard, is it? I mean, that's the thing. It doesn't, And it doesn't have to be insightful. I think that's the key here. This isn't about making the moment itself enjoyable. That That's, that I think, something maybe that we struggle with in today's society because everything's so fast and we kind of got to get to the, the content really quick. But actually what they're doing here is by slowing it down and having this bit, they're not saying anything particularly interesting. They're not saying anything particularly insightful. But all they're doing, as you said, is lending credibility to the importance of the matches that there's even someone's taking the time to even talk some inane drivel about them for for 60 seconds or so like even that kind of just adds that sense that there's, there's something important about it rather than just jumping from thing to thing so it, it's weird because we don't think of uh anything anymore in terms of the value it can give to something else as opposed to the value it has in and of itself yeah and um it just adds that little thing as well like we've watched wwe shows where they've said oh and then we've got a special match and that's always bullshit but jr used to this thing on raw where he if it was just a random match so like we've got ron simmons and cactus jack if they were having a match on raw in 1997 jr would say he'd be like oh one of them just walked up to the other and just said you and me get out there let's have a fight something like that and he just set it up right there's a reason for this happening and whenever i watch wrestling now i always think why are they fighting they're just kind of lumping things together and wwe have been doing it for years but yeah it's just like come on put some thought into it treat us with a little bit of respect so matt what was your uh, what did you want to bring up um for me it was and it's a bit of a it's the same old bugbearer for me um it's timings of matches which is something I've been banging on about for ages now. And and, and it is something that, that really is important to me because it doesn't necessarily matter how long the match is. It, it depends on the situation. Like, you can sometimes have a good match that's three minutes. You can sometimes have a good match that's 30 minutes, you know. It, it completely depends on the guys you've got doing it. But up and down, you know, this card in particular, you know, you had some matches that were 20 minutes. You had some which... Most of these were quite long, I, I felt. I, I'm, I'm not sure, 100% sure of the times, but most of them were quite on the lengthy side, which normally I, I'd be okay with, but just some of them had no business being that long. And I just feel it's really something that when you're booking a card, you, you need to learn from. Or worst case scenario, let them feel it in the ring. They they can tell if the crowd is into it or not. And, you know, if, they, if they're starting to dip, it's like somebody, you know, tell the ref in his earpiece, tell them to go home. You know, because at some point, I feel that some some of these guys lost the crowd a little bit. And it's just it's something they could learn from, I'm sure. So I'm going to ask you to pick out a specific match that you thought this about, and we can discuss that now and bring it square, you know, front and centre. Was there a particular match where you really thought this was a problem? Believe it or not, it was the Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes versus Larry Zabisco and Steve Austin match. I, I was I was quite disappointed with that match in particular as well, because when I saw the lineup of who was in it, I thought, oh, th- this is going to be really good. And I was expecting this to be one of one of the best matches on the show. But I just found that I got really bored with it really quickly. And I just felt that it kept going and going and going and going. 
And I think this was one of the ones that must have been around about 20 minutes. It, it was just far too long. And I just felt like they they could have gone home a lot quicker than they did. It was it was just unnecessary by the end of it. This was actually something that I had picked up. So we'll obviously go through the card, but they've got a little run of tag team matches, which I always think is a mistake. I think always think, especially the length of the matches that Matt's kind of alluded to, but this match, they start off really hot. So like the feud is, is that um, uh, Zabisco broke Wyndham's hand. So you see a little clip of that. It's outside Halloween Havoc, I think it is. So this has been boiling for a good five, six months. And they start off, really hot everyone's hot for it and it never feels chaotic there's a lot going on but it's all very well done and they do this lovely thing where they purely because they haven't got the cameras that wwe now use to compare it to today's standards they do this lovely wide shot where you've got two people fighting on the ramp <laughs> and two people fighting in the ring and you can see it all and it's like lovely i'm enjoying this and then it just fucking slows down to a Cruel, and I was waiting, just waiting, waiting, waiting for that kick and that bump and that little thing. And I can, I don't mind a lull. So give me a lull because every now and then I need a little lie down as well. I'm not expecting these guys to go. They go 18 minutes 23 seconds according to Wikipedia. I don't want 18 minutes and 23 seconds of the way they started the match. But there isn't that pop anywhere. And to your point, Matt, I believe that this. They lose the crowd quite big in this match and they struggle to get it back consistently, not just little bits until the main event. And what a I shame. Think. What a shame. Yeah. So this match is just over 18 minutes, you say. It's won by Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes when Windham pins Larry Zabisco after a flying clothesline. As you say, there's a lot of talent in the ring. I think that you're right. I do think that there is overly long. This was probably one of the bigger feuds. I think WCW were quite good at not just having one thing going on at any one time. And so there was this show culminates with three or four quite big matches. But I do think it suffers from the order the show's gone in as well. So I think even if it was this length of match, had this been match four or or five and the other tag match that comes before it been match two, then you've got that variety a bit more because the match before it, which is Van Hammer and Z-Man against Richard Morton and Vinnie Vegas, which is, in my view, a completely random match. Like there's just nothing about it that holds it together. That's another 12 minutes. And that has no right to be 12 minutes. At least this one has got some previous to it. So, you know, I think it really suffers from following that and also being quite late in the show. I think it had been a bit, a bit earlier, not followed a long or overly long tag match. Then we might have been better off. Well, we there's no and we've mentioned this a lot. There's no piss match. There's no piss match. Here, <laughs> and no we more. we've used that as quite a criticism of like how um, women's matches have been used as that mm. before. But this needed it. This needed no. So I uh, I think it's after this match I stopped. So I was watching it one evening this week and I stopped because I was like, right, I know what the next three matches are because they mentioned them mm. i was like i'm going to stop because i know there's at least another tag match and then two singles matches for the titles that i was expecting to go a reasonable length but before we escape from this I've got a little question for you matthew so you're obviously a ufc guy yeah because i struggle with ufc when i have watched this so when i used to live with tom and tinky tom and uh, a couple of friends johnny and luke would they come over and they'd watch the UFC shows the night after. I always struggle with it because I'm like, when's it going to end? 
when is it going to end? Yeah. And I've got a theory on what the difference is between knowing, because obviously I don't know when this wrestling match is going to end, but I can kind of see the signs when it's coming. And I think I know why I, I think I know, hang on, right. Let me try and word this correctly. <laughs> Miguel, I had my thoughts ready and then we went off on something else. So I think I know why you may have difficulty with, say, a match like this, as opposed to a UFC match. But maybe I know they have rounds, so it is very different. But I just wonder what your thoughts were, if you can even remember what the question was, because I asked it about <laughs> I, 17 I minutes ago. I don't know what the question is, so good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I see what 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 you're what you're sort of getting at is that I I can I can watch a UFC fight because let's say it's you know it's a title fight and it's gonna be five you know it's gonna be twenty five minutes so that's five rounds twenty five minutes I can watch that quite comfortably because I know that that can end at any minute because because it is quote unquote real it can end literally at any point whereas if we're watching a wrestling match which I think okay this has probably got ten fifteen minutes left. You know, and I in I say in theory, I know what's going to happen. You know, I have an idea of who's going to win. It might be a little bit more boring because I'm like, I just want to get to the point where I see the guy who wins. So I, I kind of see where you're coming from. I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not sure that there is that. I mean, it, maybe it is. Maybe there, there is a, a bit of that logic in there. I, I mean, I can definitely tell you that with this tag match, I, I was making notes on my phone. And I was literally lying down on my sofa making the notes and I did the dreaded drop my phone on your face because <laughs> <laughs> I was just dozing off. I was like, good God, it's, it really struggled to hold my attention. I, I don't know what it was about it. It just, I don't know, it just felt really plodding towards is, the middle and I was like, I, I need something. Is there really a difference, I guess, is what, what, what I would ask, maybe to old man, really, maybe maybe to you also, Matt, is that you don't know when either of them are going to finish. You, you don't know for definite at any point. If you're watching this, I think we always come at this, and this is where wrestling is so difficult, because we always come at this from a critical eye. When you're watching UFC, I imagine, Matt, you're not watching it from a how good is this show. You might be a little bit, but in the main, it's who's going to win, who's going to lose. But I try to watch every wrestling show where I can in the vein of who's going to win who's going to lose because that's what it's meant to be regardless yeah. of what we've turned it into through stupid things like this podcast that's what it's meant to be. yeah what well, we are we, we are we are kind of furthering the cause of this ridiculousness but but the truth is is that that's i think it might be about that in some ways is that like when we watched when i watched the rumble the other week like i was watching it not with a critical eye or trying not to watch it with a critical eye. i was trying to watch it with a just i'm going to sit here entertain me i want to enjoy this i want to see how things turn out I want to, i'm interested in i'm invested in who's going to win all that kind of stuff and i wonder sometimes with ufc when you're watching even if you're watching it in the who's going to win who's going to lose probably sometimes you do get bored because maybe the matches aren't that great but the other thing is is that you're also probably much more het up in terms of the main event and who's going to win that and who's going to lose because it's it's a sport so it's therefore like if you if you weren't interested in who was going to win and who was going to lose in ufc you probably wouldn't watch it, would you? Because you're not, it's not, it's not there for entertainment. It's there because it's a sport and someone will win and someone will lose. So if you were watching wrestling in the way it's intended to be watched, I think in the natural order of things, you would get bored through certain, uh, certain periods, but then you would also come alive for the reason you watched in the first place, which was the main event. So in the case of maybe the rumble a couple of weeks ago, it was, it might be that you got bored halfway through, but then the rumble's coming and you want to see who's going to win and you're invested in it. So, to me, I don't know if there's any difference. It's more just that we've got to a point where 
we we're always watching this stuff with a critical eye now, as opposed to just watching it for the enjoyment of who's going to win and who's going to lose. Do you know there is something to that? I mean, I, I could be wrong here, but I, I mean the way that I think of it in in terms of wrestling wise, anyway, is that well between all of us, you know, we've all been watching it for God a long, long time. You know, when we take into account how many matches we've seen, you know, I I don't want to say that you know we've seen everything. But we've seen a hell of a lot of stuff, you know, you name the type, the style, the the wrestler, you know, it does take an awful lot to make you think, oh, that's different. So I think that that's what a lot of it is now, personally. Like, like there was a time where I watched Raw religiously every week. I think it was for about eight, nine years or something, just w- weekly without stopping. And, just, and I look back at that now and I just think, well, there's nothing different anymore. It's the same thing. But th- here's the thing I find weird about that is, I, and I challenge you on it, is that okay. what's different about what you see in UFC each time you watch it? It's going to be the same every week, right? I mean, yes, occasionally someone might pull out a move they've not you've not seen before or a type of knockout that you've not seen before. But in the main, it's the same thing again and again and again. If you're a football fan, I, you know we we've I've had season tickets at, at Bristol Rovers. Old, um, old man's had a season ticket for like tw- at one point had season ticket for like 20 years at Bristol City. He's seeing the same thing every week, so it's not. You know, do you know I mean, it's, it doesn't it's surely not just about being different. It's about that and being unable to engage with it on a face value basis, I think, is the problem. I, I get what you're saying. The, the one thing that I have found, especially with UFC and especially recently, is they still they 100 percent have the ability to surprise me. Um, You know, like the one of the most recent main events they did um, was the heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou um, basically retained the heavyweight title. And everybody, everybody was expecting him to win by devastating knockout within one or two rounds. It didn't happen. It ended up going the full five rounds and he ended up, you know, just screeching out a decision. Nobody expected that to happen. It was completely unexpected. There, there was a fight on the undercard of that with two flyweights where the last fight they had was unbelievably exciting. One of the best fights of the year. And the opposite guy won in this time. So it's like, I still think it is somewhat the element of surprise. They still seem to have that quite frequently, I think. The reason I asked was because Tiggy's mentioned it now, so I may as well blow me load completely. So we've got the three tag matches and then the US title match all in a row. So there's four matches, which just over an hour of wrestling time. And I think during at least three of those matches, there is a period where I do not feel like anybody is trying to win. And that was what made me think of it. So I was watching it and I was like, it made me think of when I'd watch, when I'd be in the room with maybe Tinky, Tom, John and Luke. And they'd always be engaged in it. And I was like, it's exactly what I thought. I was watching it and I was like, this is how I used to feel when I watched this. And I was like, no, because hang on. Both combatants were always trying to win. They were doing something to win. And there's a, I think because of the layout of the card, like Tinky said and like I said, I didn't get that impression on this for long periods. It just made me think about it. I, I think there's a there's a that's a really good point though, and I think it kind of does come back to this the evolution of what wrestling is. Like I think more and more wrestling is not just watched in a different way by more and more of the audience and more and more of the time. It's presented in that way more and more of the time. And actually, if you don't present it that way, if you present it by ensuring that to what you said old man everything that they're doing even if it's defensive even if it's them backing off is in pursuit of trying to get a victory you are less likely to fall into this problem where you start thinking oh i'm, not, I'm a bit bored now i'm taken out of it because they're not trying to win 
I know this match is going to go for another five minutes at least because we're not in a hot period of the match, if you see what I mean. So, yes, yeah, so I'm a little bit bored now. I think that is, I think that's the consequence. Now, it's interesting we're talking about a show from 1992 where this has uh, become a problem. <laughs> but I think it's more now than ever that's the case. And I think maybe we're seeing it in this show because we do watch it in that way all the time now. I mean, there's very little. There are very few people still watching wrestling. That's not to say that they could watch wrestling if they didn't. But there's uh, there's very few people still watching wrestling at this time who don't watch it in that with that critical eye. Um, at least in even even if it's very very kind of surface critical eye, like that was a fun match. Like regardless of how they considered it a good match or not so very philosophical conversation it was yeah i was uh i got this when when that popped into my head so i finished watching the show earlier and i was like oh that might that might be a talking point or i thought what if we fucking piss matt off he storms (laughs) off which he did but obviously you'll be able to edit that out thinking yeah yeah, because he went he went on quite the tirade again didn't he just just like we mentioned the other week yeah smashed up the screen like (laughs) Threatened to come to to Bristol to kill us both in mm. our in our beds. It's crazy. I, yeah, um, don't worry. We'll have edited it all out and it will be clean. Um, and you won't, oh, you won't hear any of that. that. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Well, he's here. He's here. <laughs> <laughs> he's here. So we will take a little break there, and then when we come back, we will talk about all the matches on the show, which will probably be quite a lengthy thing because there's all the matches really to cover, except for the tag match we've just spoken about. And uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll be back on the other side of this. Okay, welcome back. So we're going to go through the rest of the show now. As you said, old man, we start with Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff as the presenters of the show, although I did originally note them down as commentators, just like you mm. perhaps suggested they were going to be. And I was quite glad for it when they weren't, because Eric Bischoff clearly has an idea of how he thinks people are supposed to be on television. And therefore, he is mimicking that. And it's very, very hard to watch, I found. He was very cheesy is the word I'm looking for, but a better yes. word for it. He just was just not 
yeah, it was not good. They have a little talk about the main event, which is Luger and Sting facing each other for the WCW title. Then we go backstage to Missy Hyatt, who says she's going to try and get some uh, interviews with both Lex Luger and Ricky Steambo ahead of their matches later in the show. Both of which he fails to do, spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, oh! She plays quite an important p- part in some of this stuff, though. She, mm. she, some of the stuff she does actually does subtly feed into other things. I don't know how subtly, because maybe it's just me being slow. But <laughs> later on in the show, I'm like, oh, I, now I get why they were doing that thing with Missy Hyatt. So probably wasn't subtle. Speaking of spoiler, my opinion of Missy Hyatt uh, changed throughout this show, and I'll tell you which which end I sort of started with. At the start of the show, I thought she was great. Oh, now we know what you think of her at the end of the show. Spoilers. I'll tell you what I did like. I like the little run through of these are the people that you're going to see through the show. So there's none of this. Oh, we're going to go to our backstage reporter, Todd Grisham. And we're like, who the fuck's Todd Grisham? Why is his hair so bad? We're going to go to our backstage person, Matt Stryker. Boom. Like, (laughs) yeah, like stuff like that. I just... That was quite nice. Although it does, um, by the time we get through, because obviously we mentioned uh, JR and Jessel, we're seven minutes in to the mm. show. And I was a bit like, bloody hell, this is a... Uh... At one point I was like, how long are they going to talk for? Is it going to be like a two-match card? Well, you know, I think I, I get what you're saying, but I actually quite like the idea of them doing this now. I, I like this mm. setup. I just think that you have two people sat there and WWE have tried to do it with their like their panel, their kickoff panels, <sighs> but they're fucking terrible. And they do try and be they do it's try and be enter- they do try and be entertaining, which is my big problem with it, because that's not what Chevroni and Bischoff are doing here. They as I said, they're just you know, kind of lending some credibility to everything. But I like the idea of them having two people there on a desk of some kind, away from the ring and a different part of the arena and then them going and um t- we're also going to get some interviews from as you said old man from some todd grisham tonight and then you have todd grisham do his introduction and say yeah i'm really looking forward to this match um and then they could uh, go back very briefly to the two people at the desk and be like uh, and also we're backstage we've got whoever else they've got backstage and they can do a tiny little bit then they come back and, they're, and now for your commentators jim ross and jesse ventura mm. as in this case i like that i think they should do that it yeah just, and you know what it would fill time that they are always trying to fill time so just fill, fill some time doing something like this do you know just out of curiosity can anybody name any of the current sort of backstage guys that are in wwe today because i don't think i could scott stanford is he still there <laughs> i think so i'm not certain but i think so and there's the Irish gentleman as well, who I only saw. Oh, yeah. uh, he kind of did a load of filling. WrestleMania. Uh, yeah, and he was actually quite yeah. good, but I couldn't tell you. Don't be looking at up, old man. We're doing this off the cuff. <laughs> oh, no, I tell you what. Though. Is um is Caleb Braxton one of them? Yes, I think so. Yeah, Caleb Braxton's in there because she does the bump. Tinky's oh, favorite show. That's that's why I wouldn't know because I don't watch it. Yeah, and you know what? I wonder if that might be it. There, there was a blonde one, because I watched SmackDown recently, and there was some blonde woman who's who's been on there once or twice. I have no idea who the hell she was. Isn't there someone... Oh, God, I can't remember his name. He's. He, I'm going to call... He looks a little bit ratty. <laughs> I can't think what his name is. I want to call him Todd, which is obviously not right. I've just got Todd Grisham in my head, um, and he's not particularly ratty. But, yeah, I can't think of his fucking name. But there's, there is another guy in my head that I'm kind of vague, got vaguely there. <laughs> Anyway, we could spend way too long on this. We need to move on. So, yes, Jim Ross welcomes Jesse Ventura into WCW. It's his first appearance for the company. And then we go into our first match. It's 
Jushin Thunder Liger, the WWE light heavyweight champion, against Brian Pillman in a 17-minute contest, which ends when Liger misses a diving headbutt and then Pillman. I've got, I've got that. Then Pillman kills him. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's supposed to be Pillman rolls him up for the win, but it looks like kills him. Um, we're going to go with that though. Rolls him up. Yeah. For the win. Might not be right, but that's what I've got. Uh, why do we start with you, Matt? What were your thoughts on this match? This match was absolutely sensational. Absolutely loved it. I mean, as soon as I saw that these were the two guys, I thought, right, completely stop what I'm doing, 100%. TV has my attention. Phone goes down. Yeah, literally, it was like, right, this was brilliant. Just top to bottom. This was almost the perfect length of what a match should be. You know, it, it didn't, it was flashy, but not too flashy so i don't think it took anything away from any of the matches later in the show you know but they they did some interesting stuff there both guys looked great it was a great finish it was almost perfect i i I didn't i'm reluctant to say anything is perfect which is why i will very rarely use the word which is why i will go with almost but bloody hell was this really good yeah, this is fantastic. I mean, this is match of the night. And I, I knew four minutes in, it was going to be match of the night. Because there's just a beautiful pace to it. Just really good. They're also, they're having a bit of fun as well, which is something we'll get into, but I think is something that's quite missing. Through. But it's also, like we've kind of alluded to, prefix that with it's a very different product to what like I grew up watching in WWE. So it is very different. But this is... Really good stuff. I have got barely any notes on this because I was much like you, Matt. I was in it. Pillman sells his leg. Unfortunately, I'd written the note and then he kind of stops. But he sells his leg after something happens. I can't remember what. But he's selling it wonderfully. Like, absolutely wonderfully. And I was like, oh, this is good shit. This is good shit. And they know when to, like, just inject a little bit of pace into it. Older likey likes. It's a fantastic German suplex into a bridge. That is a thing of absolute beauty. And I actually thought probably should have been the end. But obviously, they weren't going to. Just because it was so beautiful. It was so well done. And then there's there's a powerbomb reversal done by Brian Pillman that I couldn't get my head around. How they'd done it. Because it looks so cumbersome. But it's also... I think there's a little bit of a an error in it, but they managed to style it out and it looks absolutely great. And there is a twist on the abdominal stretch that I've never seen. Now, I love an abdominal stretch. Me and uh, me, Tinky and Tommy have had on shoes <laughs> before. We've had a good old chat about the abdominal stretch. So this is Houston Liger sat down on the floor on his little keister, legs out in front of him. And then Pillman is knelt behind him and he puts on the abdominal stretch. And even Jesse's excited because he says, oh, I don't think I've ever seen the, that use of the abdominal stretch before. I mean, that just topped off what was a great match. The commentary, they start off hot. They're straight into it. JR's given the references that Brian Pillman played for the Bengals as a safety. He chucks that in when he does a shoulder tackle. And uh, Luger does what uh, Liger. Sorry, not Luger. He's in the match later on. <laughs> he's not quite as agile as this guy uh, Liger hits a shoulder tackle on him and Pillman's just not rocked by it at all and he says oh that's why because he's used to be able to get just a great start really good start to the show and I noticed this the first time so we've covered a fair few 
film and matches now. It's the first time that I think it's because of how his hair is and because of what he's wearing. I was like, fuck me, his son is like him, a spitting image. And I was like, bugger me. And then it made me a bit sad. He he does look a lot more like him when he yeah. was younger than, than he did later in his career, definitely. Um, very mm. significantly so. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't but agree with you both. It's an excellent excellent match um it's a celebrated match from this period of wcw quite famous in that in that respect uh, the two of them had had quite a few matches i think around this time but this was kind of their concluding match for the light heavyweight title that was only around for about a year or a year and a half um and then and then disappeared and before it disappeared it went got into the hands of um scotty flamingo who was raven who wasn't really a light heavyweight either. So it kind of, yeah, it, it went a bit strange. But in terms of at this point, it was, yeah, it was, it's a really big deal. It's one of those moments where large portions of the American mainstream wrestling audience were introduced to a major Japanese wrestling star and kind of started to see the value of Japanese wrestling. So it's, for those reasons, it's really famous. But it is also, it's just excellent. And it's so different. I remember something sticks out in my mind about when I first started to see kind of more of the high flying stuff when like early 98, late 97 in WWF. And there's a match at WrestleMania 14 between Takamichinoku and Aguilar, I think it is, who would go on to be Essa Rios as well, which is just flying. There's there's no wrestling in it whatsoever. It's just flying. This match is all the great flying, all the great aerials, all the great sequences, the German suplexes, the back suplexes, the inseguries, all that stuff. But connected with all these transitions and all these great, all it's just great wrestling. This sense that these two are trying to figure out how to beat the other one. They're not just they're not just putting on a show. They're actually engaging in some form of a competition here. And so that was just that was just perfect. I think it's easily the best match on the show. It's really, really good. Jushin Liger is also my MVP because I don't imagine we've already had the NXT show that he was on. We've already looked at that one. So I don't I can't think of too many other shows we're going to see Jushin Thunder Liger on. And um, yeah, it's just it's just an excellent start. This was the type of match that that I've been looking for, you know, to, like we've been talking about, particularly about me, like sort of tapering my reactions to to this time scale. And I think this was a prime example of it. I mean, if, if you put this in a modern setting, it, I think it'd still work. It was just a really great piece of work. The funny thing is, though, I think if you put it in a modern setting, it would feel slow to some people. That's the thing. They they are not blitzing this. This isn't like straight into the match really fast. They are bursts of action throughout. But there are lots of slow sections. There's lots of selling. There's the bit, as, as old man said, where Liger's working over Pillman's leg and Pillman's selling it and trying to really get people invested in the idea that he could submit because he's now got his legs, his, you know, his legs been worked over. Uh, but then every kind of couple of minutes, it just they have another burst and then they settle down again. And they burst and those bursts. I remember saying this about the Shawn Michaels, David Boy Smith match. Uh, I think it's King of the Ring 96, which I absolutely loved because it's the same principle, except that was perhaps on a slightly higher profile because obviously it was the main event of that show in that they kind of they do an, an exchange or a sequence, which is quite impressive. Then there, there's a then there's a little bit of a period of transition and, and feeling the other out. Then it's another burst then and those bursts come faster as the match goes on and they get more impressive as the match goes on so it just builds you don't i even like main event AEW matches are not like this they're faster they're they're more flashy they're trying to get you into 
the moves and be impressed by athleticism. That's not what this was. This was just something else. And I don't. I think if you, I think it would look out of place in today's world. If I'm honest, I, I think I might misspoke there. I think what what I kind of mean is is if you if you put this on today and you sort of said to people they're not going to be able to do. Let's just say, for example, I don't know. Let's just say they're injured or something. You know, they're, they're not going to be able to do as many high spots, for example, as you might normally see. Try and lower your expectations a little bit. And I think people would come away thinking, wow, this is really great. So that, that that's kind of the angle I was going for. But I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I think that the, the stuff they do would fit. But the amount that they do in these days would mean this was maybe a seven minute match, not a 17 minute match. Yeah, that's how I kind of see it. It's interesting you said that, Matt, because I was thinking when I was watching this, I was like, having watched uh, the Rumble 2022 a couple of weeks ago, I was like, they should show this to their roster. The crowd are as invested in this match as they are in any match on the card because of exactly what Tinky's just broken down, where they slow down. They also, they want, and I think it's probably kind of a symbol of the time. It's kind of alluded to by Jesse, a very, very little. This is a guy from Japan coming over. And he's their champion. And they're like, right, we want the WCW guy who's here week in, week out to win the title as well. So there's a little bit of that where they really want Pillman to win because he's great and because of that. And they just, like with the working over of the leg, they just get everyone invested and they get people involved. And it's just it's beautiful, isn't it? This is why I was still, and me, Tinky and Tommy have talked about this. There's the odd thing. It'll always be like, this is why I watch it, because there's always the chance that something is going to be is going to miss. And when you uh, mentioned King of the Ring 96, Tinky, I remember not particularly enjoying that match. Mm. And it did make me think when you were talking about it, maybe, maybe I need to get my head out of my ass a little bit. And that was also a main event as well. Yeah. So I think this being the opener, I think it's kind of a different expectation of how how things should go in inverted commas. I think you're also a bit more refreshed when you come to an opener than you are when you get yeah. to a main event. So when the, if the main event is taking its time to evolve in front of you, it will mm. understandably not be so great. And hell, I might watch that match again and be like, yeah, it's not as good as I thought it was. But yeah. on the viewing I had last time, I just thought it was, it was excellent. So after this, as they shake hands after the match in a show of sportsmanship. And I think, again, also a sign that Jushin Liger has done his run in WCW. So this is kind of the culmination of that run at the time. But then we get backstage, Missy Hyatt with the TaylorMade Man. We all know who TaylorMade Man is, don't we? We do. Old Terry Taylor, otherwise known as Red Rooster, of course. I'm, I'm glad you clarified that because I literally put in my notes, is that fucking Terry Taylor? <laughs> <laughs> which, which is the question you should always ask if Terry Taylor is on telly. <laughs> is that fucking Terry Taylor? <laughs> So in this little interview, this is just to really set up his coming match with Marcus Alexander Bagwell. His what match? Clever. <laughs> so Terry, yeah, so Terry Taylor says that he tried to teach Bagwell how to be a winner. Now he has to teach him how to be a loser in their coming match. Said it again there for you, Matt. <laughs> so yes, we've got. Um, I think it's Barry Abrams is introduced to us as the special guest ring announcer who's won a competition to do this. Mm. He's wearing an incredibly strange outfit. You don't see much of his full body, but there's one brief shot where you see that he's wearing a tux on top with tails and then shorts 
Bermuda shorts, I believe, and trainers. It's and the... he got booed. Well, yeah, of course he got booed. <laughs> the poor little bugger got booed. I think he'd have got booed no matter what he was wearing. But <laughs> but I don't know what they've decided to do with it. They're obviously ripping the shit out of him here. The, the organisation themselves are ripping the, the shit out of him. Um, and he is the special guest ring announcer for Bagwell against Taylor Made Man. Oh, man, just shared a link. What's he just sharing? <laughs> That's... That's the, so I can't get on Twitter because I haven't got um got an account, but that is a link that should hopefully show the outfit that he's wearing. Because I almost missed this. So when they went off to the backstage bit, I was like, I'm gonna use this opportunity to go and get a little beverage. Bear in mind I live in a I live in a flat, so it's not very far. But then he was like, Oh, and here's Barry Abrams. And I was like, Fucking right, let's <laughs> let's see what this guy's about, let's see if he's any good and then like you said, Tinky, there's just that small glimpse. And I was like, fucking hell. Yeah. I, I t- tell you what, though, I don't think he's the worst dressed person on the show. <laughs> well, we'll find out who that is later on. But this yeah. is Barry Abram. So it's not Bermuda shorts. He's wearing what looks like boxing shorts. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he's got a cummerbund just above that. <laughs> uh, so he's wearing a tux. Uh, he's wearing a bow tie, a tuxedo with tails, top and tails. Like, no, he ain't got yeah. a top on, but he's got tails. And then the cummerbund, then boxing shorts. And I'm pretty sure some trainers or sneakers or whatever uh, uh, on his feet. And Barry Abrams himself has tweeted back. So we have found Barry Abrams' Twitter account. <laughs> Fucking love it. Absolutely <laughs> love every second of this. He will be followed by at RWR Pod. He is uh, part of ESPN.com. His voice talent is his, uh, is, is his work. So I assume he's found work in, he says he's a, com- he's a, a host and producer of The Far Turn. And he's an ESPN feature producer. So there you go. He's gone on to bigger things. What Hang on. the hell happened there? Sorry. I need to clarify. Is this the far turn or the fart earn? <laughs> I, I don't think it matters. I think we'll let everybody else make their decisions on that point. But that is absolutely the most phenomenal thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, because somebody said, oh, this is a poor soul, Barry Abrams. And he's come back saying, who are you calling a poor soul? What a lad. I feel like I want to change my MVP of the night. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that would be fair if that's what you're thinking of doing. Yeah. So yes, Marcus Alexander Bagwell in 1992. I didn't even realise he was he was with WWE by this point. But my goodness, he must have been so young when he yeah. when he debuted with WWE. It's unbelievable. Anyway, this match between the two of these men it lasts for seven and a half minutes, and it ends when Bagwell rolls Taylor up for the three after there's a small botch that results in a clash of heads. Um, but then Bagwell rolls Taylor up and uh, neither man seemed to believe the match is over. So it's very, very messy, the end of this. They seem to want to continue the match, but the referee has um, counted the three. And then Taylor hits Bagwell with a DDT after the contest. Oh, man, what were your thoughts on this one? I mean, you know, I'm a big Baggers fan. Mm. This is uh, this is not very good, to be honest. This is I wrote fine and it's fine. It's just not very exciting. It's very much an older hand leading a young stud down from the stables to go and jump over a few jumps. But how fa- how much further can you take the equestrianism analogy? Well, <laughs> if you let me continue, so the horse unfortunately isn't able to do the jumps, so they're getting a bit nervous. So the rider keeps falling off, but luckily. The rider is protected by my MVP of the night, which is Marcus Alexander Bagwell's hair. (laughs) Because his hair is so enormous. Like, it's got to be 
I reckon, four inches of bouffant. Now, for a man who has two millimetres of bouffant on top of his head, that is absolutely incredible. And it was definitely the highlight of the match. Two millimetres? Mate, you are fuck it, you are having a laugh. I, I'd be surprised if there's one millimetre there. I'd, I'll have you know, mate, I know it's two millimetres. <laughs> Actually, it's probably longer because last weekend I shaved it to two mil. So it was probably closer to two and a half or three now. So, <laughs> but yeah, like match wise, this is. Uh, it's, I think the problem is, and I, I don't, I don't blame. This isn't a criticism of the layout of the card because it was always going to happen. But this is like when you go to walk on some flat floor and there's a step that you don't realise, and then you go, oh fucking hell. <laughs> this was that after the match before yeah and luckily you've survived you've not rolled an ankle you've not fallen over anything but you're glad that you're getting to your destination wow, i don't know what that, the destination is the destination that'll be someone from uh, the jersey shore i expect it will um, yeah <laughs> analogies all over the place old man but i think you're right but i think also something's got to follow brian pillman you should like i may as well put this on afterwards and to be honest i thought it was everything it should be for a seven and a half minute match that followed mm. that match i <laughs> just like what else can you do you know i think if you'd have put the barrier Wyndham, Dustin Rhodes, Steve Austin, Larry Zisco match after this. After that, you'd have been like, oh, God, what? Whereas this kind of just made sense to just bring everyone down. And that's kind of why I thought actually what they should do after this match is then do the Barry Wyndham, Dustin Rhodes, Steve Austin, Larry Zisco match. So you, you're back, you're ready again. You're back for more. So, yeah. But it was fine. I didn't. I actually thought this was relatively good. Uh, I felt sorry for Terry Taylor. who was getting rooster chance at him all the way through the match. Uh-huh. Which, <laughs> which is going to be the case and it was fine it was fine it's just a messy ending which let it down somewhat yeah it, it, it was fine I, I can't say it was anything in, in, in particular to it. it it was what it was it, it serves its purpose i mean one of the one things I, I was sort of pleased to see um is they did some form of a gut wrench power bomb and god is that an underutilized move in wrestling People need to use gut wrench power bomb style moves far more often. I agree, but I love a gut wrench. I love them. Mm. Don't know well, why they don't. Uh, you're in luck because in a couple of matches time you get about four, I think. Yes. Yes. Look at that <laughs> fucking fist bump, Jesus! <laughs> I got, I'll be honest, I thought that was coming through the fucking camera then. <laughs> did, he ju- did you just say he fist bumped Jesus? I mean. <laughs> Uh, no, I think you did. I think you'll find that if you go back and rewind this after you, when you're listening to it, you'll find that you did say. It. And if you didn't, I'm going to edit it in to show that you did, so that I'm right. <laughs> It'd be absolutely amazing if it's just like I just say, "Oh, in the fist," and then you just say, "Bumped Jesus." <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that's what will happen. So after this match, Missy Hyatt's outside Luger's dressing room, um, and the uh, Harley Race then turns up with his gravelly voice. And he says that Luger is in the best shape oh, of his life. Could I just say that, obviously, we're way, way ahead of ourselves. But when you see Luger, he's not wrong. But I don't think that's a good thing. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that because I think there's yeah. some, some interesting stuff around that, if I'm honest. Mm. So match three is Ron Simmons against Cactus Jack in a match that only lasts six and a half minutes. And uh, basically what happens here is that um, Cactus Jack comes off the second rope, but Simmons catches him and hits a power slam and gets the pin. After the match, Abdullah the Butcher runs down to the ring and uh, joins Cactus Jack in attacking Ron, Ron Simmons, prompting Junkyard Dog, who previously seen a shot of in the crowd, to slowly come to the ring and take out take out a couple of security guards and then save old Ron Simmons from the beating. There's big JYD chance here, although if it were me, I'd be like, what the fucking took you so long, Mr. Dog? <laughs> Matt, what was your thoughts on this one? 
this was one of the ones that unfortunately let me down. I, I, I can't say I had high hopes for, the, for this one, that, that'd be wrong, but I, I certainly had some relatively upper high, or whatever, I had some high hopes for it. I, I was aware of um, the type of work that Ron Simmons did, you know, back during that time that he was supposed to be, you know, pretty damn good. Terrible pun in there, but I'll go with it. Um, I, I, I know. <laughs> I know the Mick Foley has, has always been great. I've always been a big fan of Foley. So I was, I was actually expecting a little bit more of this. And I just felt it was all kind of to set up the, you know, the, the, the aftermatch shenanigans with Abdullah the Butcher and JYD, which how the hell JYD is, is as over as he is. Who the hell knows? But I, I just felt it was a setup for that. So it was, it was a bit of a letdown for me. I'm liking the fact that you now know a bit about JYD. You've seen him have a match and stuff, so you're now kind of getting into the rhythm of what the hell's going on? Why is he so popular? I know. I mean, I'm interested to know why you think Ron Simmons was, or has got a reputation. I think this is one of those classic things where Ron Simmons was never really that good. It's just that people get the impression that he was because of maybe WWE's presentation of him over the last 20 years, which have kind of set him up to be this sort of star. I mean, I know... Let's not forget, he was the first black world champion. So that's a major accomplishment that he had. But in terms of his gen- genuinely his, his in-ring performance, it wasn't particularly impressive. And I think it's more just interviews, um, you know, I've seen and read and just the things I've heard about him. I mean, you know, I- I'm not going to lie. I-, I can't ever say that I can point to a Ron Simmons match in WWE and think, wow, that, that, you know, that was a great one. But, you know, pretty much everything I've heard, at least certainly, you know, pre-WWE and you know, all the opinion seems to be was quite quite well respected. Supposed to be pretty good, and maybe not. But that that's certainly what I heard. From what I've seen, he's just Farouk, but a bit younger. Yeah, <laughs> that's, what, that's yes. from what I've seen. The matches I've seen. So I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just not saying. I'm just saying I wouldn't put him on any kind of expectation list for great matches. What's interesting is you've said he's Farouk, but a bit younger. I had him down as Ron Simmons, but a bit older. Ah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Subtle difference, but, you know, important to make the distinction. (laughs) Hang on. Ron Sim... No. I don't know. No, because he could could be Ron Simmons a fair bit younger, couldn't he? Because he's now Ron Simmons again. Yeah. Ah, who knows? Anyway, that's all, by the by. This was exactly what I wanted it to be. They just beat each other up, basically. This is what Simmons is good at. It's just basically a brawl, in effect. One thing I don't like, and I never like it, is the hanging spot by Cactus Jack, where he goes in head first, gets his head tangled in the ropes. It's horrendous. Like, it's absolutely awful. And every time, even though I know he's alive and I know he's got use of all his limbs, when whoever the wrestler is pulls the, ro- the ropes apart, I'm always scared that their hand's going to slip. He's going to be half out and they're going to break snick. Always, every time, it's like, don't do it. Just don't do it. And the bloody hell, the silly fucker lost an ear. Like, do it. Stop. (laughs) Yeah, but no, no, I'll carry on. But yeah, this was hard hitting. Um, I did have a note on JYD when he stood in the crowd. I just wrote that that's the best work I've ever seen him do. Just (laughs) stood still. (laughs) And then Ronald um, does to Jacqueline a spine buster on the ramp. Well, the ramp of sorts. It's not really a ramp, is it? It's like a level... There's no, yeah. There's no incline or decline. That you've just done one of those things where occasionally I feel like I have to step in and 
clarify that when you said Jacqueline, you meant Cactus Jack, because you do this quite regularly. You change the names <laughs> of people, and yes. sometimes sometimes it's so subtle that you're like, oh, where was Jacqueline? She wasn't involved in this. It's Jacqueline. <laughs> Christ, you killer. <laughs> well, he almost killed Cactus Jack. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, it was pretty rough. And old, uh, old Jackie Robinson hits his head quite hard. On the uh, on the stage, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, this is no the finish was quite good. I thought reasonably smooth, and I was a bit disappointed that um, Cactus Jack had done his. So I've never actually seen him do this. It's so Ronald is led down on the floor outside, mm-hmm. and he gets up on the second rope and he does his elbow drop. Looks incredible. Ronald completely no sells it. <laughs> And then the finish comes. I was like, oh, that's a waste. And obviously, I've heard Foley talk about how fucked his hips are mm. from doing that move. And I was like, at least fucking sell it for him. <laughs> the miserable same, yeah, because yeah. I've read a lot about how he, he loved doing that elbow and he always felt it was a big move. So if he knows so, he's probably pissed at that. Yeah. I, I think it probably was a big move, though. Again, if you look at the time, forget, you know, again, we're, we are viewing it through a different kind of lens and i think at the time seeing someone do that would have been pretty damn impressive no matter how much the person sold for it regardless yeah. of that you'd still be like oh that's that guy that does that crazy flipping elbow off the top this was exactly what i expected it to be this is one of the very few c- contests collisions if you like which we've seen twice now we've seen ron simmons versus yeah. cactus jack twice and from the same year so he's uh, the clash of the champions show that we covered towards the end of last year they have a match there as well and it's pretty much the same as this from my memories and yeah it's, it was fine i wasn't expecting much but again like i just feel the order could have been better here put this after so as i said put the tag team match we've discussed after the uh bagwell terence Taylor match and then have this so that you've got another short match after that which just gives you a little bit of time to refresh and come back because it's not particularly important they're just they're just building ron simmons all right now we've got the match out of the way now we can talk about the main event of this match which is jyd <laughs> so we're going to work top to bottom on what he's wearing wow so we got jyd's head he's wearing that <laughs> so he's got a lovely white dinner jacket a red bow tie on top of a white shirt we then work down a little bit We've got another cummerbund, so a red cummerbund. And then we've got the piece de resistance, a pair of blue denim jeans finished off with a lovely pair of shoes. And I'm like, it's like, um, was it Herb Alper or whatever his name was, who we were just talking about in the rain doing the announcing? Like, (laughs) they obviously, they were like, junkie, we want you to get involved in the match. And he's like, cool, I'm just wearing a T-shirt and some jeans. He's like, no, no. That's not going to cut it. We're going to have to dress you in this weird hybrid tux thing. <laughs> it's like there are things like we talked about this in many things. And we obviously mentioned it earlier about how through some of the later matches, I don't feel like people are trying to win. This really took me out of this because I was like, one thing he said, he moves so slowly to get to the thing. They position him. Obviously, it's somewhere where the camera can get to him easy. But it's quite a long walk for a man who's obviously not in physically the best shape, I think. Not as in he's overweight or anything, but obviously his body's a bit battered. So it takes him a little while to get there. And then when he gets there, he's wearing this shit. He's like, come on. 
I think that's why he was wearing this shit to take I was away, say the same. <laughs> take take away the the attention to the fact that it took him ten minutes to get to the ring when his friend apparently has been beating the shit out of by Cactus Jack and pro- perhaps the most insane wrestler in the history of wrestling, Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah, this is something else that I'm glad you mentioned that because I kind of forgotten Abdullah the Butcher was there. So Abdullah the Butcher and Cactus Jack, they're madmen. They're madmen. They'll do anything. They have to slow down their frenetic beating because <laughs> like after the butcher's there with his little stick thing and he's like gonna hit ron simmons for about 20 minutes <laughs> he's just like well i can hit him because i'm not meant to hit him i'm gonna get you but but jyd's walking down he's smoking a cigar and he stopped to do his shoelaces up three times and then he sees what he's wearing he probably bursts into hysterics She's like, oh, was he fucking wearing ah good shit well not good shit to be honest terrible but <laughs> So next up, we've got that random tag team match that I mentioned earlier on. So we've got Richard Morton, who was obviously Ricky Morton from the Rock and Roll Express. Again, and Vinny Vegas, who obviously is Diesel and Kevin Nash versus Van Hammer, um, who we've seen once, I think, before, old man, on a previous yeah. show. And, and Z-Man, who is Tom Zenk from the Can-Am Connection with Rick Martel um, before he, Rick Martel was in Strike Force. Very, very random pairings. No idea if these two these two teams had any other associations either after or before this point, but it just felt like it was just thrown out. They just threw four random people they had backstage into a match. It lasts for 12 minutes, almost exactly. And uh, the end comes when Z-Man gets the hot tag. There's a little bit of action. Then R- Ricky Morton Irish whips him into the corner and he reverses that into a sunset flip and pins Ricky Morton for the victory. Who was who's going first this time? I'll go was, first. Go on then, old man. This is not very good. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got Van Halen, Zed Man, Vincent Vegas, none of whom I think should probably be on a pay-per-view because they're not very good. Probably not through any for their own, just through inexperience. The major problem in this is that you've got Richard Morton. I wonder why they call him Richard. He's all very formal. So weird. But um, yeah, Dick Mortz, they don't use him enough. He should be the anchor in this, I think, holding it all together. Because, I mean, Vegas is greener than spinach. He's trying, don't get wrong, he's trying his little arse off. They all are. But it's just not good. And it's 12 fucking minutes. 12 minutes and it feel, it felt every one of them, I think, because of exactly what you've said, Tinky. This is clearly four people out the back, probably tossing each other off and they were like guys stop doing that because you've got a bloody match and it needs to go 12 minutes and they were like well we're not ready and it's like well it doesn't matter the one thing i was saying though is that van hammer he's quite over because he does the Mm. we will we will rock you but they don't do that bit but that's kind of it and i thought this was a real I put a step back. This is like multiple backflips backwards, I think, for the show. And I was glad it was over. But I really liked the the actual finish. I thought the finish was great. I was like, could have done with a bit more of that excitement earlier on. That's but we only get that for three seconds. A bit like my love making. <laughs> Matt? Uh, um the, the yeah, the, the the finish was was good. Um I, I enjoyed the finish as well, but 
I mean, yeah, but besides from that, I think this just came across as the push for Kevin Nash, pretty much. You know, the the amount of times I heard them talk about, or Vinnie Vegas, you know, the amount of times I, I heard them talk about him on commentary, you know, he seemed to be in there quite a bit. If anything, it just reminded me of like an Omos match on, on Raw or pay-per-views today and that, that it was like at the time he would have been that level and he was just the resident, you know, big guy who they were looking to push, wanted to make a star out of. He wasn't there yet. And this did not belong on pay-per-view. They easily could have done this on, you know, one of their other shows. It, it, it didn't need to be a pay-per-view match. It, you know, it was boring for what it was, but it, it served its purpose, you know, and like I said, the finish was cool, so... I agree with you. This doesn't belong on this show. It it does feel like they've just basically gone. Oh, we've got we've got a twenty minute period period on the show. We have we can't fill, and we've only asked for a couple of guys extra to come in. You guys are just have to work together in some kind of weird tag team situation. But I didn't mind the match. I thought it was an all right match. I thought it was okay. I mean, a nice time filler. I thought this was about the most impressive in ring performance I've ever seen from Kevin Nash. Um, in terms of what he personally did, I think <clears throat> like he's had far better opponents, which have got better matches out of him. But in terms of what he personally did and contributed to the match, I thought this is maybe the best I've ever seen him. Jim Cornette famously goes on that rant about how he's got five moves, and that includes the hair flip, right? That's that's <laughs> the thing about Kevin Nash. Here he's doing all kinds of stuff. He's pulling off all kinds of moves I've never seen. He does a vertical suplex at one point. <laughs> never seen him do a vertical suplex before. So I just, yeah, I was quite surprised by how good his performance was, to be honest. And just to kind of continue on the Kevin Nash theme, I, I, I noticed this recently, so I thought I'd mention it, is that Finn Martin recently uh, on Facebook was talking about Kevin Nash, and he sums up the man with this particular nugget never has one man made so much money for contributing so little <laughs> i remember that is that assessment of kevin nash. so well that is assessment of kevin nash and i would be very yeah i would absolutely concur with that because he's just i don't know how he did it but the importance of kevin nash in terms of his overall profile within the business is so much higher than it really should be but hell i also have to credit him because that's what i think wrestling's all about ultimately is is uh, portraying yourself as important, being portrayed as important, getting over and making money. A little note on the uh, commentary here. So JR says, what is he wearing in relation to Vincent Vegas? And Jesse, fantastic stuff. Just fantastic little things. He says, well, he's used to working the door. He's used to being a bouncer. So he's used to beating people up in those clothes. So maybe he feels more confident in those clothes. And I was like, it's such a lovely little thing because I don't really know. But in this match, I don't have a clue who was the heel on the face, apart from the We Will Rock You stuff. There isn't really anyone, I think, kind of plays into what we've said about it being thrown together. But I was like, just a lovely little thing. Just lovely, just a little attention to detail that I get the feeling many commentators would have just let that go and just been like, yeah, whatever. But Jesse turned it into something. And I thought, you know what? Well done, lads. You turned it into something that explained the gimmick as well. Yeah, although they obviously bin this off for the older. Uh, what is it he becomes after this? No, he's he's before this. He's Oz. Ah, the Ozinator. Yeah, mm. where he's he's got I think it's purple hair and green yeah. costume and looks a bit like Captain Planet, but not as cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and he's definitely not a hero. No, no, definitely not. And in fact, pollution's going to increase on his watch. I should imagine. It is. Yeah. So after this, we get all the stuff between Steve Austin, Larry Zbysko, Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham, which we have discussed in some detail. So I'll move on past that 
to the next backstage bit, which is Mi- Missy Hyatt trying to get an interview with Ricky Steamboat. Old man. I just want to give the listener a little treat with this week's Tyron Faxton of the Week. So for our loyal listeners who listen every Sunday at 5pm, the second <laughs> it's released, there's a little treat for you here, because today... The day of release, the 6th of March, is my personal hero and all of yours, Val Venus's 51st birthday. Tyron Faxton of the week. Or year, or decade. <laughs> you two are. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what I can't believe he was only 51. Time is very strange because I'm 38 and for some reason I think of Val Venus when he was... I think of Alvinus often, but when he was when he was at the top of his game for that like three or four weeks, I always think of him as being like forty at the time. And I'm like, oh, he got to be like sixty, isn't he? Imagine uh, imagine losing your mind that young. <laughs> what well, is is you know what's weird as well because we talk about very often we talk about wrestlers that have passed their best. So I, I'm always kind of trying to just temper our kind of dissatisfaction with certain people because of the fact that they're a bit older. I think one of the people we've spoken about in this regard is Dusty Rhodes, who in 1990 mm. would have only been about 41, 42, which is nothing compared yeah. to some of the wrestlers you get now. But I'm always like, oh, yeah, he's passed his best now. He's really old. He's not. It's not even really old by that point. So it does a weird thing to you, Time. You don't, not only does, as we've discussed, as the people look older in the past, but also because we get older, you kind of, you're perspective on their age changes and val venus is obviously one of those things because for him to be 51 it feels like he's only a few years older than us How, how's that possible yeah matt doesn't look very happy about this whole val venus talk yeah, that just that just upsets me that he's not that much older so next up we get missy hyatt trying to interview ricky steamboat but the ninja is there and he opens a door for her but when he opens the door for her ricky steamboat is there with a fireball of some kind? I don't oh. know, fuck, fuck knows what was going on here. Apparently he was meditating and there's some kind of fireball. Then Medusa comes along and demands to see Steamboat, but the ninja won't let her. She slaps him and ninja chases after her. Now this is actually quite important because obviously Ricky Steamboat has a corner person called the ninja, who we don't see the face of. And we'll come back to why it's important later on. When it all came full circle, oh, this was brilliant stuff. <laughs> Really, really good. It was a bit of story, and I was like, what the fuck is this all about? I don't understand. I mean, yeah. first of all, Steamboat with his old meditating and fireball. Tom would have been absolutely fucking going out of his mind with anger at this point. No doubt about it. He hates Ricky Steamboat. And this would have been like, this would have been like, oh, what a fucking twat. I hate him so much. <laughs> but for even for me, who quite likes Ricky Steamboat, was a bit like, what, what are they doing here? What is this all about? This is a very strange element to the Steamboat character. Um, just so that uh, we don't uh, give him a free ride. Family man, Richard Henry Blood, Richard <laughs> Steamboat, Ricky Steamboat to you, uh, was on his third wife at this point in time. Third of five so far. Jesus. So then we get the WWE tag team title match next, which is... Uh, oh, hang, on, between... hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on, you can't... You can't also for <laughs> Eric Bischoff wearing yes. all this Michigan State gear. <laughs> I didn't I don't well I don't you tell me about this I don't remember this so they go to Shivoni and Bischoff and Bischoff is wearing a Michigan State jacket and they talk about how basically Bischoff is saying how the Steiners have won loads of shit I don't know won some wrestling stuff I'd want to listen to that shit but he's wearing the Michigan State thing he puts a little hat on as well that 
very ill-fitting hat. It doesn't fit him at all. And then Chavone talks about uh, Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton and about how they're going to win. It's just great stuff. Bischoff it's looking like an idiot. It's not the best jacket he's ever worn and then taken off and then put <laughs> back on. But obviously, you'll have to go back to our, our second episode to hear all about that. All the way back to sold out in 1997. Yeah. yeah, they make a lot of the signage being from Michigan State University. Yeah. I think that's the main thing I got from it. And there's a lot of talk of that on commentary when Jesse Ventura yeah. claims that he doesn't believe that they are because they're too stupid to have got degrees, basically. <laughs> so, yes, that match is next. WWE Tag Team title. Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton defending against the Steiner Brothers. Anderson and Bobby Eaton are part of the Dangerous Alliance, which is managed by Paulie Dangerously. But we are informed that for a late match later on in the show, Paulie Dangerously's not allowed at ringside no we found this out the previous match didn't we so i missed this mm. out when we were talking about the barry windham dustin rose steve austin larry's visibisco match steve austin and larry's visco also part of the dangerous alliance and they don't have paulie dangerously with them medusa's with them but paulie dangerously has been banned from the match where rick, rick rude will be fight, fighting ricky steamboat later on but he comes out with them doesn't he and then he he's sent out, to the back yes that's right so he comes out with them but he's not in the first match which is weird so medusa no. comes out with Steve Austin and Larry Zabisco, and, and they don't know why he's not there. And then the second match, he gets put sent to the back. Well, I agree it's quite confusing because of the layout of the matches, but I think this is quite good because it's a reason for him not to try and come down in the US title match. All makes sense. But yeah. They just do it a match too late. Well, not only that, but it also explains when you think about it afterwards, and sorry, we're, we're trying not to, we're trying to talk around yeah. this. <laughs> but it also explains what happens in the Rick Steamer match, and it explains that previous thing that we had with Medusa, Missy Hyatt, and the Ninja. Yeah. Because he's got other things to do at this time. That what well, during mm. that last match. So mm. such teases. <laughs> so third attempt. Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton defending the WWE Tag Team titles against the Steiner brothers. It's a 20-minute match, just over 20 minutes, in fact. And it ends when uh, Steiner, Rick Scott Steiner hits a Frankensteiner on Bobby Eaton for the pin. There's a conversation then between the referees, and they overturn the decision and re- award the match to Anderson and Eaton by disqualification because Rick Steiner, earlier on in the match, gets blinded by some mysterious white wrestling powder, as we've seen many Coke. times happen in the past, and um, him then hit the referee believing that uh, it's one of his opponents so matt tell us about your thoughts on this one this match deserves a similar reaction to what i had earlier on fist in the air yes <laughs> this was bloody brilliant i honestly i was actually so so impressed with this i've always wanted to see a classic steiner's match and i never have and good god was this it i wasn't expecting it I, I was literally just thinking, okay, this, this should be all right. But I just felt it was all action. I felt the crowd was super into the Steiners. And for that reason alone, Scotty Steiner deserves my MVP of the night. I just felt that he was the guy that just held it together. He was throwing people left and right. There were suplexes left and right. It was like an early version of suplexity Brock Lesnar. And, you know, by the time they got to the finish... That Frankensteiner, which I've never actually seen it done in that... I mean, I've always thought it was it had to be from the top rope. Mm. So normally just to see it done in the ring might seem a little bit tame compared to, you know, things that I've seen before. But I tell you what, who gives a crap? Because <laughs> the people went batshit for that Frankensteiner. And it was so good 
that even the reversal of the finish with the DQ and that, which a lot of the time that would kind of annoy me and really wind me up because it was such a good match and I was so happy with it. That didn't take it away from me. Loved this. Mm, interesting. I mean, look, I've well, we all, I think, have come to appreciate the Steiner brothers over the course of the last year because every time they're on offense, anyway, they are special. I love watching the Steiners, mm. especially this era. Steiners are just great to watch. And this has got Bobby Eaton in. It was also one of our heroes from the last year. I, I agree. I think this is a really, really good match. Long, 20 minutes in length. It's not short, but um, it, I didn't think that the previous tag team match was actually terrible. I just think it went on a little bit long. Did did wane towards the end. This one didn't really do that as much. Um, still had some dips in the middle, um, but I did enjoy it. I thought it was a really, really decent match. And as I said, like when you've got Bobby and, and the Steiner brothers, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, I thought this was okay. I mean, poor old Scott, he gets beat down for what feels like about a week, to be honest. And this continued the theme of the previous tag team match, where I was like, I don't think anyone wants to win this. Which, when it's a title match, I think is um, very odd. It's very odd. I know that you you have to work people over, but there's not enough Bobby Eaton for a start. Mm. Because when, when we see Bobby Eaton, he is all go. Like, he is trying to win. Like, there's no doubt he's trying to win. He takes risks. That's kind of his whole thing. They allude to it on commentary. He does stuff. He takes risks. He goes up high and he tries these, like, fancy little moves. Arn Anderson is dreadful. <laughs> like, he's just so... There's nothing to him. I was trying to put my finger on it when I was watching. So every time he's in the ring, the intensity just drops. Because what he does, what his skill is and what he's... What he did, what he made a lot of money doing is playing to the crowd and he plays to the crowd. He does things and then he plays to the crowd and then he'll do some else. Then he'll play to the crowd, then he'll tag out Then he'll get tagged in again and he'll do exactly the same thing. And any time he was in the ring and it's a lot as well, which is, I think, the problem. If it was a more of an even split, I think I would have found it more engaging. But any time he was in the ring, I just switched off. I was like, no one, I don't want you there. Get out. But he doesn't. <laughs> he keeps coming back in. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed because of that. It's a it's a good match, but the bits that are dull are extraordinarily dull. And I found the finish okay. I respect the referee for taking the suplex because he doesn't like do it as he would normally. But he still lobs him up in the air and he still takes a nice little bump. But yeah, there was there was more in there, I think, because I think, like Tinky said, the level the Steiners have set. I mean, Rick is over like Rover still. Just they fucking love him, don't they? Mm. They absolutely love him. And uh, yeah, I think that's why I think my expectation was this is especially when beautiful Bobby was in there. I was like, this is going to be fucking ripping. And it was a slight tear. I think it's interesting. It's a recurring theme for us. Arn Anderson is not impressed with him at all. Like, no, I, I, he does a great spinebuster. Mm. That's that's it. That's what I think he's good at is a spinebuster. Mm. I've seen him in his very early career under his actual name, Marty Lundy, doing job matches in Mid-South in the early 80s. And it feels like that's where his place is. He's a mm. very unremarkable looking guy. And that's another reason why I think it makes sense that he's a job guy. And I just don't get it. I, I'm, this is one where I personally, I, we, we've kind of spoken about people that we don't get. And I, there's, there's very few people that I can't see at least why someone thought they could make money out of them. Don't get Aaron Anderson at all. Just don't get it. I think he's a, a, a capable wrestler, but nothing special. 
I don't think he looks particularly, he looks completely unremarkable. Mm. And his promos are okay, but not, I wouldn't go mad for them. Like, I just, I'm like, what, why the big deal? I mean, I guess because he was with Ric Flair for all his career. But having said that, I I think sometimes I think the, the Flair is overhyped, to be honest. So he's, uh, like Tommy said, months ago, he's a dad. He just he looks a like dad. a dad. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I also think, like, because obviously Matt said he really enjoyed this, got the old fist out again, which isn't a euphemism. Um, <laughs> but he doesn't have that pre thought. Pre thought? No. Yeah, that do. Don't I don't have much to to look back on for the Steiners. So for for me, that this was great. Yeah, and that's it. We've watched some matches with the Steiners that have probably blown our socks off. And this, I still have one sock on, <laughs> and the other one was still clinging on by a toe. Yeah, I think it's also interesting. I think it's interesting how sometimes who's in the match can work both for you and against you. I think when you, Matt, were talking about the Brian Pillman Jushin Liger match, you were like, right, okay, these two guys, this should be good. I'm going to, you know, I'm really going to focus on it. In that case, I think it, it helped because you were like, imagine if it had been as good a match as that, but with two guys, you were like, oh, this isn't going to be very good. Hmm. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have approached it in your mind in the same way. And it wouldn't have been quite, it wouldn't have hit those heights. Yeah. Here, I think for, I think I'd agree with old man as well. I'm looking at it going, right, we've got the Steiners, we've got Bobby Eaton. It's going to be cracking. It was, I liked it. I did think it was a good match, but I thought it was going to be better than this. And also, obviously, you've got Bobby Eaton's tag partner. Oh, I can't remember what his name is. I can never remember what his name is. Stanley. That's it. Thank you, Stanley. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just like, I know he's not with the company, so you can't just chuck him in there. But <laughs> Bobby's better than this. God rest his soul. So next up, we take a look at the end of the previous match again. And on commentary, Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura even mention that the two people in the match at the end are not the legal men, which I thought was was another very nice touch for this bit. I thought this was good. Yeah, I agree. We're not idiots. No. Don't get me wrong. I didn't notice. No, not did I. But many people would have. I'll tell you one guy who probably did notice. I was going to save him to the end of the show. There's a gentleman in the front row straight in front of the hard camera right next to the aisle he's wearing a little blue hat and a blue hat fuck me like tan brown hat i mean tan brown and blue they're they're basically the same color which (laughs) took words right out of my mouth i mean i'll be quite honest i often i'm not even sure what the difference is now after you said (laughs) and uh he's wearing the same color so like a blue, tanny, brown <laughs> jacket. Pink, green, <laughs> orange jacket. Yeah. Yeah, with a greeny burgundy top <laughs> and some glasses and a decent beard. But uh he's just sat in exactly the same position the whole show. And every now and then I notice him and I'm like, still there, still that moved. He must have been there with there's like I mean, don't go wrong, he's not like a young young kid but there's what I assume is his son or maybe a nephew next to him. He was reasonably into it. I was like, you've been you've been lumbered with taking this kid, haven't you, to this show? But fair fucks to him. He stays in exactly the same position the whole time. I've tried to do that before. Well, not tried to do that. But, like, if I sit in the same position for too long, I stiffen up, my legs go a bit. Like, fair play to that kind. Although, didn't see him leave, so he might still be there. <laughs> <laughs> he might well be. So we move on to Missy Hyatt backstage again, this time outside Ricky Steamboat's locker room once more. And as he exits, he makes his way to the entrance. So this this is just seems a bit of fluff. He's, out, he's going off to the entrance. We go back to Chevroni and Bischoff for a minute. I don't know if there's anything in particular you want to mention about them, but I've got nothing noted. The one thing I have got is that Ricky Steamboat's rude <laughs> because he doesn't even give a cursory... Hey, Missy. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. 
I'm on the way to me match. It's effectively because of the angle that she is as well. He almost walks over her and is a little bit like, come on, mate. She's just trying to do her job. Like you're trying to do your job. Do it better and be a better man. <laughs> See, though, I-, I can't disagree more on that. <laughs> By this point, Missy Hyatt was irritating as all hell. I was thinking, I don't give a shit if he just pushes her out the way. Just <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> Enough now. Get out. Let me go do my job. I think for a backstage interviewer at this period, Missy Hyatt is extremely charismatic. I don't think I've seen many that that carry that. In fact, for any period, we've seen some fucking. We just we started started the show off talking about Scott Stanford and the rest of them. Like she is a million times better than those guys. I'd much rather have Missy Hyatt than any of them. And that is the word that I initially used to describe her when I first wrote down. I was like, mm. God, she is charismatic. And mm. then by the end of it, she's just so annoying. Well, I, I mean, you are right though as well, old man. He, she didn't succeed in getting interviews with either Rick, uh, Ricky Steamboat or or uh, Lex Luger. So um, not the most successful of nights for Missy Hyatt. So he goes to the ring for his match with Rick Rude for the United States Heavyweight Championship. Before the match, Rick Rude tries to do his pre-match ritual where he talks about the fat inner city sweat hogs. And he is getting, there's so much heat on him during this this in- introduction. He cannot get the words out. He, he has to keep stopping because they're just booing the shit out of him. In the end, he just has to talk over the booze because he can't, he's not going to get to the end of it. Uh, if, if not, the match itself goes for almost exactly 20 minutes. And it ends when, as Ricky Steamboat goes up to the sec- up to the top rope for a chop, presumably, uh, the ninja who's been sat, who's been stood at ringside all the way through, avoiding looking at the camera even though he's mm. got a mask on hits ricky steamboat with a telephone and then runs off rude then crawls over and makes the cover as steamboat's fallen off the top rope to the floor and obviously it's exposed that it is poorly dangerously under the mask of the ninja <gasps> and we we figure out why they need to lure the original ninja away from ricky steamboat's door in order for paul Heyman or poorly dangerously to to replace him uh, old man what did you think of all of this stuff? So, very torn on this. Very torn. Because what they do in the ring is really excellent. Like, it's faultless. What they actually do, the moves that they do, Rick Rude's selling of his arm. So, Steamboat works over his left arm quite a lot, which the commentators, again, give him a little rub. Jesse, in particular, is talking about, hey, come on, Matt, don't look like that. Give him a little rub. <laughs> Dirty sod. Come on. And, uh, I, I could not be like him myself. I like to keep this clean and family. Nothing that old man likes better than some dry rub either. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so. It's supposed um, to be delicious, apparently. Yeah. Well, I tend not to have it because it's usually used on meat and I'm vegetarian. Yeah, that is true. So Ricky Steamboat works over Rick Rude's arm. So Rick Rude can't do the Rude Awakening. And then it kind of goes on a little bit too long i think this working over of the arm and it kind of goes on and then they kind of step it up again and there's the little flip and rick rude has his moment so there's two things going on here in my head and i'm like this is building to the steamboat fucking well steamroller basically he's gonna come back he's gonna fuck it he's gonna win this this is great but it's not going to happen because we know the ninja. Like, I knew. I wrote down at the start of the match. Ninja's going to cost in the match. Because you just knew that was the way it was going. And at the end of it, I was like, oh, they ruined what, what was going to be a really good like thing. And I was like, that's exactly what you want. They've taken that away from us. The heels have taken that 
excitement away. So now you want Rick Rude to get his fucking head pummeled in. You want Paulie Dinsley to get that phone shoved up his ass. But I don't want that from one of their main pay-per-views. That was the one thing that, because I think the match is okay. Parts of it, like I said, everything they do is phenomenal. I just think the pace is a little too slow for my, like, well, too slow for too long. There aren't, like, like we said in the opener, there aren't the little jumps. There aren't enough of those, I don't think, in the middle portion of the match. But I was just a bit disappointed with the fact that it wasn't, it wasn't the hero winning. But it all kind of plays into the whole card, so I can see why it doesn't. But as a standalone match, I was like, oh, I would have loved that. I think you bring up a really good point, though, actually. I think this is something I've I, I've thought for a long time. And it really, it's really weird. I know exactly where this thought goes back to, and I've obsessed on it for a long time. Most people will be really non-descript, they won't remember it. But Hell in a Cell 2014, the main event is Seth Rollins against Dean Ambrose. They've had their summer-long feud after the Shield has split up. Seth Rollins has got the better of Dean Ambrose nearly all the way through the fifth feud. He's done the breeze block to the head on Raw after their SummerSlam lumberjack match, which was probably one of the best lumberjack matches I've ever seen. They were in both in the Money in the Bank match, and it was, you know, that was part of the feud. It all built to this Hell in a Cell match between the two of them. And it was the main event of the pay-per-view, and I was like, Dean Ambrose has just got to win this. I don't care what plans they've got for Seth Rollins in the future to be world champion. Dean Ambrose has to win it. You have to get to the point where you've built a heel against the babyface for long enough where you need to pay it off in the way the fans actually want it to go. Because if you don't do that, you know, if, you, if you're invested in the feud, which most people were, because it was a great feud, it was the end of the Shield, everyone was kind of really into it. If you don't pay off in that way, you start to feel let down by your heroes and by the story. You will, and you start to think, are the good guys ever going to win? Like, I, I, you know, it's got, there's got to be a reason for me to support these people if I'm going to cheer for them in that. And so I, I, I've obsessed on that particular match for such a long time. And what ended, ended up happening at the end, instead of, I think, Dean Ambrose is about to win, then the lights go out and Bray Wyatt comes in, uh, yeah. attacks Dean Ambrose. And I was just like... If it was me booking that, even if they were insistent on Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose being the next feud that Dean Ambrose went on to, I'd have just done that after the match. After Dean Ambrose had got his victory, settled the score of Seth Rollins, drawn a line under it, then you move on to the Bray Wyatt thing. But as it happened, they didn't do that. And there was no need for, there was no reason for Bray Wyatt to attack him. That was just when Bray Wyatt was being really vague about why he attacked anybody. But it was just that that thing where they didn't pay it off. And I think you're tapping into this a bit, old man, in your reaction to this match, which is, you know, this is a pay-per-view. It's the semi-main event. It's for a major, you know, title on this pay-per-view. Fair enough. If you pay the, if you have this match on a, a show Saturday night, for example, that they used to have, WWE Saturday night, and this is the main event of that show and you end it in this way. But on a pay-per-view, you might want to consider it going the other way. Now, I would argue that this, as this isn't the main event, I don't have such a problem with it. But I definitely see where you're coming from. And it really relates back to that kind of match that I was talking about. I can't say that the finish bothered me that much. I mean, it, it, it wasn't great. Um, you know, I'm not going to, you know, certainly not going to stand here and defend it and say it was really great. But it, it didn't bother me. I mean, the, the match itself was another example of the kind of thing I'm looking for. I, I felt it was it was very technical. And I at least early on, it was very technical. And I will admit that's, you know, to, to what you said as well, oh man, that, that's not to everybody's tastes. Certain match types like this, I mean, 
it, it almost in some ways it kind of reminded me of some like world of sport type of matches like like very very technical crisp you know there's a lot of hammer locks and you know how to get out of them and that type of thing and there was a lot of that going for a while which i i quite enjoy so that that for me was quite interesting and, and there was a couple of things thrown in there and if for no other reason it's so good to be able to see a pile driver done and not only done what not only done safely but to be done well because it looked devastating as well i mean almost to the point of I, I wish they'd finished it right there on that but they didn't but as far as the match goes i thought it was great i thought both of them were great this this was one of the highlights of the show for me yeah i didn't actually comment on my opinion on the match i just was kind of responding to what old man was saying and i i found so i did find that really interesting but i did like this i thought it was a good match funnily enough I think for me, sometimes I realise I, I watch something. I watch things way more passively than I sometimes imagine that I am. So there's constantly I'll be watching a television show with my wife, and she'll either with either watch the whole thing, and then afterwards she'll go, "I knew that was going to happen," or she'll be watching, she'll go halfway through, and she'll go, "Oh, it's going to be so and so," or "This will happen," or whatever, and she'll be absolutely 100% right. And I'll be like, "Oh, I never even thought of that before you said it. <laughs> I never even thought of it." And that was kind of how I felt on this occasion. Because I was like, I saw the ninja looking away from the camera, but I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. But I had no, I wasn't like engaged my brain in any way of going, why is he doing it? I was just founding it, finding it interesting. And I should have, I should have seen it coming a mile off, of course, but I just didn't. And I just, I, I, and so when the, the reveal came, it kind of was one of those moments almost like where I was like, oh, so, oh, and then everything started to piece together about why they did the Missy Hyatt thing with Medusa and the ninja and all that stuff. And yeah, I, I so I quite enjoyed that because it was a bit of a reveal. The match was decent. Uh, I think you can pretty much expect a certain level of quality when you've got Rick Rude against Ricky Steamboat. Uh, it should be good. There's just a few things I want to pull out, though, that were quite interesting. So there's a kid at ringside holding a replica WWF Intercontinental title belt, which the camera, oh, yes. for some reason, um, concentrates on a little bit too much. Didn't really understand that. Um, Ricky Steamboat. Now, forget what you think of Ricky Steamboat for a minute and just embrace the fact that he has some of the best music ever during his wcw run it's just absolutely fucking amazing i was trying to find it on spotify to play it over the the broadcast but i can't at this point in time so i will try and find it um, and play it at some point during this uh show on the edit and then um finally rick rude's tights so he's got the words rick rude on the back of them on his bum which is his tights are legendary everyone knows this rick rude's tights are a thing of great art but he's got rick rude written on it but because of the slight graininess of the picture because of the slight graffiti-esque way in which the words are written i wasn't sure at first whether it said fuck fuck or <laughs> fuck or fuck dude um i couldn't tell but at various times it looked like either or both wasn't really sure but uh, yeah, those, that's my thoughts on the match. So we get a bit more of Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff. And then Missy Hyatt, you'll be very pleased to know, Matt, is backstage one more time. She walks into the Dangerous Alliance locker room and catches Paulie dangerously with a ninja outfit on. But they quickly slam the door and try to uh, hide the fact that that's what's happened. And Missy Hyatt, clearly slower than I was, finally woke up to the fact that the ninja was indeed Paulie dangerously. The thing is, she should as well, because... You should always sell it, especially yeah, because she, yeah, she's not ringside. So, like, if she was ringside, it would be very silly. But fair folks to Missy Hyatt, and uh, I know Matt's given her a bit of a battering, but she was second or third on the MVP. Yeah, because I think she does such a good job. If there was more of Medusa as well in the show, I think she'd have been up there as well. Because I think what she does on the outside of the ring, she's not really got a bump 
in this show, but what she does outside the ring is just really good. So good this is the point of the show where I literally was like, Missy Hyatt needs to go away. <laughs> she just become intolerable at this point. This, what was once charming and quite funny was now unbelievably irritating. It was time for her to leave. I, what's interesting, sorry, just before I move on from Mrs. Hyatt, Mrs. Hyatt. <laughs> you know what? She she might be married, so yeah, why not? She might, she might be um, now, yeah. Who knows? Yeah, so we saw her where she's outside with Tony Schiavone. Clash of the Champions 20th anniversary. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. And when she was with Tony Schiavone, her energy was so different that I was I found that a bit irritating. But on her own, so I can completely understand where you're coming from, but on her own, in that environment, I thought she was great. Go on, Missy Hyatt. i tell you what she reminds me of. In sort of 97 and 98, after she'd had the management of three the three tag teams who'd held the titles, Sonny did a lot of backstage stuff, did a lot of guest ring announcing, did some, you know, various just random stuff because they just wanted to put her on screen. She reminded me of her, of Sonny, but better than Sonny, a mm. lot better, because I didn't think Sonny was a particularly good talker. Um, she didn't really have a huge amount of charisma, not not other than her looks, if you see what I mean. Whereas Missy Hyatt, I thought, had something much more interesting. She was much more charismatic, much more. Yeah, I, I thought she I think she's really good. I think she is exactly what you're looking for when you've got someone backstage doing stuff like this, basically. Mm. And you also had. Over on the other company, you had very straight-laced Mean Gene as well, with his little quips. And to your point about Sonny as well, like, with the greatest respect to her, we know why Sonny was there. Like, Missy Hyatt, I don't think is there for that. Like, she's not there to be the titillation. She's not wearing extraordinarily revealing outfits that get smaller as the years go by. Go on, Missy Hyatt. Just needed to be toned down just a notch, just for me. So then at ringside, Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura, the preview, the world title match. And Ventura congrats Paulie dangerously on his brilliant plan over the course of the evening. Which leads us to the main event, which is for the WWE world title. It's Lex Luger, the champion against Sting. And they have a 13 minute match when Sting hits a flying crossbody for the victory and takes the title. Now, oh man, let's, let's start with you. I think this is the best Luger match I've ever seen, by a fair distance as well. And I think you've got two factors in this. You've got a red-hot crowd that only want Sting. There is a lady wearing a pink Sting jumper that is one of the most vile things I've ever seen, but I would buy one if I saw it on the street. But it's all about Sting. But Luger plays his part incredibly well, I think. For a start, he is bordering twice the size of Sting. Which uh, there's a big thing made of Luca not having been around for a month, and uh, we can see where that work's gone. But he just he plays his part perfectly, Luca. I think he beats him up, he muscles him around, he looks like he's immovable through much of the match, and then it's kind of like the latter, the final third that Sting starts to really get a hold on the match. I think the end is a bit weak. I gotta be honest, but I was also afterwards. I was like, well, what else is he gonna do? He's not going to power him up because he's that much bigger than him. You can't have him tap out because the Scorpion Deathlock is such a horrendous looking move that no one would tap out to that. No Burke could tap out to that. And it also feels like they're appointing Flair's successor. This is what I, to bring it back to what I was saying at the start in my expectations. This feels like they're going, there you go. There's the WCW mantle. Can you carry it for us, please? And the crowd show that, yes, you probably can. Regardless of what I think about Sting, and we've watched some matches that I haven't enjoyed, I think he's 
pretty tremendous in this, I've got to be honest. And they do a perfect job. 13 minutes doesn't outstay its welcome. If they'd gone 20, you'd have really showed up Nuga's deficiencies. But I thought this was very good. Matt? Do you know what? This was one of my highlights of the show. I thought this was absolutely fantastic. I can't say I had much expectation from it going in because I've heard a lot of bad stuff about Luger in the past. And I'd be lying if I said I can think of like loads of really great Sting matches. So, you know, in terms of expectation wise, I was thinking, OK, let's just see what happens. And, I, you know, literally, like as soon as it started, it... It kind of reminded me of the uh, one of the Brock Lesnar Bill Goldberg matches from a couple of years ago. It, it was very just boom, boom, boom. It was just it, they just got aggressive right to it. They were kicking off, and you know it was fantastic. I mean the the timing of it again. I, I do think they probably I'm probably being a bit pedantic here, being a bit fussy, but they probably could have taken a minute or two off because I do feel the pace started to slow just a little bit. Like, you know, for a while it was going like really, really fast and it was on the increase and it, it felt like they were oh, going, getting close to the finish. And then there was a teeny tiny drop where I thought, ah, oh, damn, we, you know, they, they lost the crowd just a little bit. So there was that little bit, bit of a dip. But, you know, like you said, old man, everybody was behind Sting in this. Everyone there wanted Sting to win. They got the win. It was exactly what they wanted. It was absolutely fantastic. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I have to agree with what both of you said. I think you're absolutely right, Matt, in your assessment that there, there's a bit about six, seven minutes in where the pace slows and it just stays at that lower pace just a bit too long. I think if they'd have picked it up again, you know, maybe a two, three minutes of slower stuff and then the last three or four minutes really kicked in with it, it would have been very, very good. But I did think this was really good. And I did think the start, they got to the big move straight away. There was no messing about. There's a brilliant bit where Lex Luger's got Sting up in the torture rack very early on. Sting counters with a German suplex, and it's a big old German suplex for these two big blokes. And then Sting puts on a torture rack of his own, and I just thought, this is great. This is really dramatic. This is I, I was like, I'm really, really impressed by this start. They, I've never seen Luger in anything approaching this quality. And yeah, I, I was really taken by that. As I said, I agree, though. It did, did tell off a little bit towards the end, but there's no point that the fans lose their interest and they were absolutely behind Sting all the way. So I think it's a definite uh, thumbs up for me for the main event. I was really surprised by how good this was. And I think they did some really good work, again, with the commentary telling the story. They talk about the fact that the longer the match goes, the better it will be for Sting because Luger's preparation has been about apparently bulking up, getting bigger for this match. And so therefore, if it goes for too long, Sting's likely to win. And so they kind of told that story through it as well. Yeah, I thought it was a very, very good bit of business. Talking of business, there is a whole quite a bit of stuff around Lex Luger here. So let's let's talk about it. First of all, as you said, old man, they talk a lot on commentary and in the presentation about Luger having taken a month off to go and train, get ready for this match. That was actually out of necessity because Luger's deal at the time meant that he only worked a certain number of dates, very similar to Brock Lesnar in some respects um, later on. So he the reason he wasn't there is because he, he did, they only had a certain amount of dates on his contract. Um, not only that, but this is just before he goes and signs for the World Bodybuilding Federation, obviously, which was 
run by Vince McMahon and who he then showed up on WrestleMania, the broadcast of WrestleMania 8 to promote. So he does a little sit down on the sofa interview with Gorilla Monsoon, I believe, while they're on air. So I think Bobby, Bra- Bobby the Brain and Gorilla Monsoon are on commentary and they're interviewing as if he's live beaming in via satellite. So they had to get the title off of him because he's about to, <laughs> he's about to go off to not be a wrestler anymore. And they make a couple of comments during this, this show and particularly during this match where they say there's not a lot of money in bodybuilding and they're talking about this quite a few times. They go on and talk and that is a direct, obvious direct nod towards the fact that he's off to go and work for the World Bodybuilding Federation. So I, I that was all quite interesting as well, that kind of undercurrent of business that was going on all, all at this time. And even even more kind of in your face is Ventura is quite negative towards Luger through the match. Ventura, the heel commentator, seems to be trying to just just talk him down a little bit, knowing that he's he's off to the WBF as well. Yeah, Luger is absolutely fucking enormous. His shoulders are bigger than me, I think. <laughs> when he's walking down, I was like, fuck me. He is. And then obviously they talk about the bodybuilding is how cool. And I was trying to get, I'm glad you cleared that up, Tinky, because I was trying to get the timeline in my head of what goes on. Um, just to touch back on the World Bodybuilding Federation for a moment. Lex Luger signed for the WBF, but before he made his first appearance, he was in a motorcycle accident. And in the end, by the time he recovered, the, the WBF was out of business. So he never <laughs> actually competed for the WBF and then obviously became a wrestler um, for the WWF again. Mm. So that's why he returned to wrestling. Vince does not have any luck with anything outside of wrestling, does he? I think it's nothing to do with luck. I think he just can't do anything outside of wrestling. <laughs> he's just not very good at anything but wrestling. And I think for once, I think what I wish, I wish what he would do is be proud of how good he is at wrestling, or at least how good he was at one point with wrestling. Because he has created an empire, regardless of what anyone thinks of their current product. WWF is about as entrenched in its industry as any any company is anywhere else in the world in their industry. And he should just be content with the, the brilliant success he's had with that than rather than try and do other things. Because he can't do anything else. He's shit at everything else. <laughs> Speaking of being shit at stuff, I know that we've just put this over big, this match. Quite a little match. But we've watched Luger pre this. What did they see in him? Well, maybe this. Maybe this is what they saw. People saw yeah. him. Maybe occasionally, maybe occasionally he came up with this kind of appearance. People were like, if he could just do this regularly, we'd have, we'd have, be making loads of money. Yeah. Well, that's like saying like, if I could write really great music all the time, then I'd probably be good at music. I'm not. But have you ever written great music? Whereas Luger I, has done this. You know, you've actually got an example of where Luger's actually done it. In fairness, I think I've done a couple of things on here that would be classed as great music. That's true. That is very true. Yeah. I apologise. I forgot about yeah. that. So that is all the show itself. Uh, it it's is. time to get our uh, scores out of 10 and our overview, our overall thoughts, I should say, of the show. Let's begin with you, Matt. I'm going quite high on this one. I was thoroughly impressed. So I'm going with eight out of ten. Mm, big big thought, score. Yep. I honestly I thought this was brilliant. The good stuff was just so good that I forgot about most of the bad stuff. I th- I think I did say match of the night wise. Did I say what my match of the night was? Uh, was it the Steiners match? No, but believe it or not, I was I was really torn. Originally I was going to go with the opener, but I thought nah, that's too obvious. <laughs> Then I did thoroughly enjoy the Steiners match. However, it was more Scott Steiners performance in particular. 
So believe it or not, my vote for the match of the night actually goes to the main event because I thought they were both perfect in the roles that they had to do. Like by the time we literally finished watching that, I was like, good God, was that a great main event. So that, that was my match of the night. And more importantly, you've redefined what match of the night needs to be, which is apparently not the most obviously good one, but the one you have to think about to figure out if it's any better than the others. <laughs> so, so, sometimes it's nice to switch it up. You know, it's, it's, it, would, it would have been too easy just to go, yeah, that's the match of the night. No, let's make it different, damn it. This is exactly the type of show that I've been wanting to see. This was it. So anybody out there, if you're, you know, if you're thinking I'm, I'm not so sure about going back and watching some older shows, this is one to go with. Oh man, this is a weird one. This because when I was watching it, as I said, after the uh, Wyndham Rhodes Austin Zabisco match, took a little break because the thought of three tag team matches in a row was far too much. And now I thought about it, and I think this is really good. I'll be honest, I think in spite of those weaknesses, the weaknesses in the card and how it's laid out, by in-ring stuff, this is a good show. The opener, well, the shows that we'll watch, I don't know what shows we're going to watch for the rest of this year, but if we see a better match than that, then I'll be very surprised. The main event is cracking stuff, as we've just poured over, just accomplishes exactly what it does in a very, very efficient and effective way. Rick Rude, Steamboat, and pretty much the other two tag, uh, the two main tag matches are up and down in terms of there could be little bumps here and there, but not dull, not bad in any way, shape or form. The one bum note, I think, is the Van Hammer, Zedman, Ricky Morton and Vincent Vegas, because it doesn't really have any right to be here. But we've seen that on loads of fucking shows. So the reason why I was struggling is because I gave Elimination Chamber 2011 a 7 out of 10. It's completely fair. And I think this is just a bit better, but I don't think it's enough better to give it an eight. So I'm going to give it a seven. I think if there was someone else who had similar hair to Buff Bagwell, sorry, Marcus (laughs) Alexander Bagwell on the card, it would have been pushed to an eight. But everyone's hair is pretty standard. A bouffon away from an eight. Yeah. And I do think, and I meant to say this after we covered the US title match. I think personally, this is the best steamboat match I've seen so far. I know we've only seen a very small little gambit of his matches. I know you were much higher on his match with Flair, Tinky, that we watched way back when. Mm. But yeah, this is good. This is good stuff. And I enjoyed it. And I'm glad Matt enjoyed it because I did think, I was like, if he doesn't enjoy this, so we may as well just put him out of his misery. <laughs> oh, yellow! <laughs> there's, there's no, there would be no hope for WCW with you, Matt, if you didn't like this one, I think, because I just don't know what you else you might think was good. I've, I've given this a seven as well. I think that this is one of those shows where I think the I didn't enjoy the matches as much as I thought they were good. That makes any sense at all. So I thought the matches were quite good, but I didn't enjoy them as much as perhaps I should have done for how good they were. I know that makes no sense at all, but like I could see the technical quality. I could see that the fans were interested in them. I could see that everyone, you know, it was a really well worked match. I just personally struggled to invest in some of the tag matches and the US title match. Saying that, the world title match I enjoyed more than the quality was. If, again, if that makes any sense, I thought the, the the quality of the main event wasn't amazing, but it was really really enjoyable. I thought that just that opening five six minutes was just fire. It was absolute fire. I was like, if the match carries on like this, it's going to be my match of the year. I think there were some really good performances. I, the match between Jushin Liger and Brian Pillman is great. It's right up there 
one of the best we've seen. And uh, yeah, I, I, it wasn't as good as Spring Stampede 94 for me, which is the Ric Flair, Rick Steamboat main evented show, but also had a much better layout, I think, of matches. And, and this is perhaps the difference between these two. Old Man's right, three tag team matches in a row, all of which they go 12 minutes, 18 minutes and 20 minutes. So you're talking about effectively 50 minutes of tag team wrestling over three matches. That's just a lot to take on. And you've got those piss break matches on the undercard that you could easily just mix up between these tag matches and make the whole show feel much more manageable, which they did better, I think, on that Spring Stampede show. But still very good. Very happy with it. Very good show. It will be one that has will contend for the top 10, I believe, on the strength of those ratings. So that's pretty cool. A real nice, I would say surprise, because I thought this was going to be decent, but this was a little notch above where I thought it was going to be. I've got to be honest, because especially when I, I saw the card on the light that advert on the WWE Network, and I did think of St- Sting and Luger in the main event. Fuck <laughs> no, Ricky Steamboat in the sub-main event. Fuck off. But no, fair play to him. They delivered. Matt, I, I'm tempted to make you watch Spring Stampede 94 and then give a rating so I can replace Tom's rating from that show because I'm so angry with Tom's rating for Spring Stampede 94 that this one has now got a better average rating than that did. And I just don't I just don't agree that it's as good. But Tom gave it a five and I gave it an eight. So that shows you the, the, the difference in, you know. What did I give it? Seven gave it a seven. You gave it a seven, mm. which is on par with this. So, you know, I, I just think I, I, I need you to kind of come along and replace his rating so that we can uh, bump that back up anyway I, I was really glad as well about the quality of this we've just a bit of a peek behind the curtain we've done we've recorded two episodes this week because of uh you know our personal schedules and things that are going on in our lives so we're trying to get a bit ahead of things but there was a point so at the weekend before this recording took place i watched this show and the show we covered in the last episode in one weekend that weekend i was still getting feedback and and looking at the the um downloads that we got for the rumble 22 episode I think it was the Super Bowl six episode was coming out that week. So I was kind of promoting that. I was also in the meantime, editing the next episode, which is a Saturday Night's Made Event episode, and then watching the two shows for these two episodes. So I kind of had five episodes going on at the same time in my head. So I was really glad that they weren't stinkers, because if they were stinkers, that would have made that weekend particularly difficult. So that was a that was a added bonus to that whole kind of orgy of wrestling shows that I was I was getting there well especially as the one that we had towards the end of last year like yeah. if we'd have been working to this schedule well if you'd have been working to this schedule I've had to watch two shows in a week it's not really that hard for me but uh yeah like fucking hell you'd have you just been a sad little man. There's a case to be made for that anyway, but yeah, well, we, we, we can move on from there. So anyway, old man, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much indeed for having me. It's always a pleasure, but today was an absolute treat. So I think that, uh, I think we've done a good job of dissecting life. It's Val Venus's birthday, the day that this is released. What more do we want? One more thing, isn't it? To remember. Kenny Patera. And Matthew, thank you for your contributions as well. Pleasure as always, gentlemen. Oh, there's the Cena salute. salute. Love it. And we'll be back again. (laughs) 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 We'll be back again next week where you'll find us in the next man's sweater. (laughs) But until then, take care.